2: The Earth Destruction Directive Directive.
1: Directive. 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 Directive.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I would like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. I hope everyone enjoyed our previous episode where we took a look at the independent giant monster comic anthology, Stomped. From Ross Radke and Company. That was uh, actually that episode got uh, quite a quite a good bit of traction, and I I, I really hope uh, some more uh, listeners were put on to to that comic. It was a, a real treat to find something uh, so off the beaten path. Uh, we're not going off the beaten path tonight. Uh, we are taking a look at the first film in the MonsterVerse, the first film on the road to Godzilla vs. Kong. And of course, I'm talking about Godzilla 2014. And when I say we. I mean that in a very real and literal sense, as I am joined tonight by uh, someone who's watched more Godzilla movies with me than anyone else. That's right, it's my brother, Mr. Jason Giaconetti. How you doing, Jay? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, you are always welcome here on Art Destruction Directive. And, uh, you know, you may not be the, you know... Uh, air quotes up to the mic, like, that Godzilla guy, like I am, but uh, but you know it's a true statement. You, you and I have watched quite a bit of uh, of je- of uh, giant monster movies over the years. We have. So Godzilla 2014 for the, um, those who, who may not. Have uh, necessarily been in the Godzilla fandom or aware of this movie when it came out? It was released in the United States on May sixteenth, twenty fourteen. It was directed by Gareth Edwards, and yes, that's the same Gareth Edwards who did what, Monsters and then did Rogue One. So, uh, guys, guys, got some got some geek cred going on here, uh, Gareth Edwards. Now, I saw this. Uh, I saw this on the Friday that it opened. I actually did a Gaiden episode way back. Uh, seven just about seven years ago, when when uh, I saw this, I had to drive down to Easley, which is about uh, forty minutes away, and met one of my friends to go to uh, to go see it, and I, I really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it every time I've seen it since then. Uh, it's a definitely um, you know scratched what not not to bury the lead, but it, it scratched what I was looking for in an American Godzilla film. Uh, Jay, I'm, I'm assuming you saw this one in the theater. I did.
3: I went with Kelly, uh, so. Haley was little, so we this must have been because I'm trying to remember. We don't go see many movies because I don't like people very much, um, and let and let alone uh, you know lots of people. Um, So I'm thinking we left Haley with mom and dad uh, for like an afternoon, and Kelly and I went on a date, and then maybe went to like lunch afterwards, uh, kind of thing. But I'm pretty sure I saw it with Kelly because I didn't see this with Dad, and I wouldn't go to the movies by myself because. I mean, not that I have anything against going to movies by myself, but I really don't like people. So chances, someone else might sit next to me or try to talk to me go up when there's not someone sitting next to you, and that's just going to end with someone getting punched in the throat. So just saying, but yeah, we definitely saw this probably at uh, at, at the the AMC um, where you and I've seen many a movie anyway. Um, you know, not on an IMAX screen though. I can tell you that that was definitely on a regular screen, not any IMAX or any big bigger thing.
4: The
2: one thing I remember I was wearing my uh, visit Monster Island t shirt. And I remember as we were going in, the usher's like, Hey, are you here for the Godzilla movie? And I and I didn't I didn't say it. I was like, Yes, yeah, that's what we're going to say. Uh, I could have been like, No, of course not. What it, Godzilla, <laughs> <Okay>. what? <laughs> that's like that's
3: like dad and I are on the train going down to the city. I'm wearing the Lady Liberty. My uh, my blue lady liberty with my Messier jersey with the C in the whole nine. Dad's got on a Rangers sweater, a Rangers hat. I got a Rangers hat on. Everyone in the whole car is wearing Ranger stuff. It's because you caught the last train before peak into the city to go to a Ranger game. So the woman coming and taking tickets, she goes, "You guys going to the Ranger game?" Dad goes, "No." He goes, oh, "Okay." And he just keeps walking. I go, "He goes what?" He goes, "I'm not telling her where we're going." I go, "What? You're a walking billboard."
2: <laughs> anyway dad, dad's trolling him without even trying
3: he wasn't even trying to troll i just didn't want yeah. to tell her
2: where we're going he i'm like like going. someone's gonna like track us down like oh i heard
3: those two guys there's a, literally a, a car of guys going to the ranger game anyway, See sorry.
2: The, the trick is you were actually going to a new york liberty game remember you know because they were pushed remember remember uh, Ticketmaster pushing those liberty tickets that when we were trying to get uh, ecw tickets i think
3: Yes. they were like, you sure you don't want to buy Liberty tickets? I'm like, first of all, we're not even going to the same place. One's in Poughkeepsie, (laughs) the other's in New York City. I said, you're like way apart. Two, no, I'm not paying full price. Well, if if you bought one Liberty ticket at full price, they would give you a Liberty ticket at half price. I was like, you could give me a season worth of Liberty tickets. I ain't going to the city to watch this game no offense but i wasn't going down to the that's a lot i was gonna say you know
2: and, and and you got and listeners please don't please don't don't, don't mis, misjudge my brother basketball. if it was Knicks tickets he wouldn't have gone it's oh, not we, like we, it's we, like well i'd go see the knicks but i thought no jay's not going to see the knicks either so it's not like yeah. it's like oh it's just you know no that's nothing to do with it <laughs> so, it's an hour and change by train on a
3: good day to and from the city and shocker i work so it's not like I have nothing to do the, the next
2: the, day. Yeah, the only the only difference I will say at that time is that I don't know if they're any good now, but the Liberty were really good back then, and the Knicks were yeah. terrible.
4: Well, the Knicks were so, always so that's not right,
2: a but I'm saying there, there was there was a run in the '90s where the Knicks were good, but it's like the Liberty are usually a good oh. team, but the yeah. Knicks at that point were like garbage. Yeah,
3: you know? so I, I, I think we're just a little local.
2: I yeah, turn this into a, into a, why I'm not a Knicks fan podcast. Like you're from New York. Why don't you like the Knicks? It's like, Oh my, let me tell you, you sweet summer child. Why I don't like the New York Knicks. <laughs> Actually one last thing about the Knicks. If you go on the Wikipedia page for list of NBA mascots under New York Knicks, it says James Dolan. That's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> anywho. So the, the, so I said, don't, uh, I remember when this came out, I remember there was a lot of hype for this movie. It was the first big movie of 2014, big summer movie, came out in May. And I remember there was a lot of talk about how much money this movie was going to make. Daikaiju fans are always obsessed with how much money their movies make at this point. And the, uh, the number that I've seen, and this is even reported from Legendary on the Wikipedia, was that this movie would need to make... 380 million dollars worldwide to break even and the concern was is that this film was not going to make that and the planned series would not happen well the film ended up making 529 million dollars worldwide you know making a profit and thus we have the monster verse because of the success of this film so that that is that it was always it did me it really you know made me happy that the film not only um Made made good money, but also was critically well reviewed, and I enjoyed it. You know, those, those the the three things you want to have in your movie, right? When it's uh, the movie that that you're uh, part of the fandom of. So mm-hmm. so let, let's uh, we're, what we're we gonna do? We're just gonna go through. This is the synopsis from Wikipedia, and we're gonna run through it as we get to each character. We'll talk about uh, the the cast, and uh, we'll talk about the film as we go. So let's get right into it. In 1954, wink wink, Godzilla, a prehistoric Alpha Predator is lured to the Bikini Atoll and attempt to kill him with a nuclear bomb. This is all in the pre the, the credit sequence, the prologue. And you know what I really like about this? I love all of the um, like Cold War era, 1950s era stock footage because it immediately takes me back to like Rodan, where they have all that stock footage right at the beginning of the movie, all the uh, mm-hmm. uh, a- a- atom bomb tests and stuff. In fact, the one that of the like the sky-high view of the... In Rodan, they call it a hydrogen bomb. I'm not sure what type of uh, detonation it is, where it's just the, high, the really high view of the that mushroom cloud and all the drone ships getting wiped out. That's even used in this movie. So right away, they hooked me with, like, oh, they know Americans like having stock footage in their Godzilla movie. <laughs> oh. So, uh, after the credits, in 1999... Two monarch scientists, uh, Ishiro Serizawa, who of course is Ken Watanabe, who is a very prolific uh, Japanese actor in uh, the West. Uh, We mostly know him, uh, the first thing I remember him being in was in The Last Samurai, uh, Mm -hmm. which uh, he got an Academy Award nod for Best Supporting Actor, Uh, but he was also in uh, Batman Begins, he was in Inception, Uh, Detective Pikachu. You know, so uh, very, very. Everybody likes Ken Watanabe. This one, I, I think I knew, but I forgot. He's the voice of Drift in the Transformers movies. Oh, he's well, the the I, one I that's did.
3: like a samurai. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I didn't know that though.
2: Yeah, and his, uh, so Sarazawa's partner, of course, uh, Sarazawa, named after Daisuke Sarazawa from uh, the original Godzilla, and his partner Vivian Graham. of and Graham is played by Sally Hawkins who is a renowned actress in her own right, actually uh, won a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress in the film Happy-Go-Lucky, which I've, I've never seen, but also was nominated for a Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in Blue Jasmine. Um, and yeah. um, obviously, Sarazawa here has
3: a different first name. Uh, he's Ichiro Sarazawa in this movie, paying, yep. of course, uh, you know, to Ichiro Honda, uh, the director of the original Godzilla in 54. Yep.
2: And in fact, when we see Sarazawa here, the outfit he's wearing is a direct homage to the type of working clothes that um, uh, Ishiro Honda would wear while directing. In fact, you, you can find behind the scenes footage, and not so much footage, but like still photos of Honda working behind the camera. And this, he's often dressed in kind of a similar outfit to what uh, Sarazawa is, is wearing here in, uh, in the, the, uh, the earlier portion of the film. So uh, Serizawa and Graham investigate the skeleton of a monster. Uh, now they—it's similar to Godzilla, but we don't know—we don't know that yet. They—they—they they, they don't tell us that. They know that, but they don't tell us that. In a cavern unearthed by, un, in a collapsed uranium mine in the Philippines, they also find two giant spores—one dormant and one hatched—along with a trail leading to the sea. I really like that scene where they—they they cut out from the cave. Where they're they're examining the cave and they cut back and you see just the direct path that mm-hmm. we don't know it's the muto but it's the it's the uh, you know it, it's the 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 female muto has taken to crawl directly in there you know mm-hmm. or the male or the male muto excuse me yeah, uh, yeah. At, at the male muto I, I just think that's really neat because it's I talk about this I used to talk about this all the time with the Marvel Godzilla comics and Marvel Godzilla will come up again in this podcast but it gives us an immediate sense of scale where we see everybody standing and like the, the, uh, where it forced its way out of the cave and we can see the ships and stuff and we see how big this path that it made was. I really like that right away. We get that and the, the bones of the ancient Godzilla. We immediately get the scale of how large these creatures are relative to uh, humans, which sometimes can be a little tricky when you're doing suitmation because it's not as easy for humans and monsters to interact.
3: Well, I think one of the things that Garth Edwards does, and not to give away anything for the film, but um, he does it here. He likes to, instead of just being two, you know, two monsters and, you know, back in the day, two guys in suits or whatever, just fighting on the screen. He likes to kind of give you information um, instead of just like, you know, bluntly right in your face. He kind of likes to kind of give it to you like you're learning it other ways like kind of thing like like so you get the scale and all that stuff here but instead of just being like wow something tunneled down this whole thing look how big this tunnel is you know like that kind of stuff instead he just shows it to you that and you can your mind fills it in mm-hmm. we later we'll, we'll see that how he like the battles you're like oh this battle's happening wait you're not going to show it oh we're going to show it this way like he shows things differently um if if people have never seen his movie Monsters uh, he does a lot of that there, too. He kind of explains things by having it just kind of, like, be part of what's happening. It's not... There's no somebody going, listen, let me tell you. Like, there's not that, you know? So I think that's one of the nice things you get here is it makes this Godzilla movie... This Godzilla movie feels very different than a lot of other Godzilla movies um, because it's not told the exact same way. Not to say that the others are a cookie-cutter, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not right. just guy in suit fighting guy in suit we have a thing and then someone says oh no it's gonna do this and like oh no it's like okay what's going on here they don't say much there's not in fact there's not a ton said in the cave it's more just what you're seeing
2: so. right. all right so in japan the janjira nuclear plant experiences unusual seismic activity as supervisor Joe Brody sends his wife Sandra to lead a team of technicians into the reactor. So now we're getting into some some more heavy hitters here. So, Joe Brody, of course, Brian Cranston. Um, you know, it's uh, of course best known for voicing monsters on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I think that uh, we can all agree. That was uh, the, kind of the highlight of his career before this film. Uh, no, of course so, not, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> you know
3: what's funny? Um, because I, I always think of him as the dad from Malcolm in the Middle.
4: Dad from Malcolm um, in
2: the Middle, yes.
3: I I know everyone wants me to say, oh, he's the guy from Breaking Bad. And he is. I get it. But he's the dad from Malcolm in the Middle um, to me. And Breaking Bad, the show that proves once again that teachers need to get paid well and have health care so that you don't get cancer and turn to making a meth lab in your house and then turn to a life of crime. Um, I think if we can take nothing else away from Breaking Bad, that's what we need to take away from it. But, yeah, I mean, it's always funny when you see him because – I always think of him as Malcolm's dad. He's so zany as Malcolm's dad. And you're like, I'm supposed to take this guy seriously though. Cause he's, he's, he is dead serious. Like there is no wink, wink at the camera here, you know, kind of thing, but right. in, 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 this movie. So,
2: yeah. The other one, I, I always forget. I know like intellectually, I know it, but I forget that he was Watley on Seinfeld. Yes. yes. You know, I never think of yeah. that. He, oh yeah, that's right. He was Watley. We were watching, we were watching underdog the other day. And uh-huh. uh, and Patrick Warburton was on and I oh, had, was yeah. explaining It's like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's putty from Seinfeld. I was like, oh, right. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and then uh, um, so, you know, Brian Cranston and uh, there's all sorts of we'll get to this. But uh, for for, uh, you know, for a relatively uh, short performance, it got a lot of people angry in, in this in this movie. And, and uh, Sandra, his wife, is played by Julia Binoche. And I think we can all say that Julia Benoche is uh, kind of best known, I would say, for The English Patient and Chocolat. Yeah. Uh, where she, uh, she won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress and The English Patient, and they got another nod for uh, Best Actress for Chocolat. And uh, I-, I don't know, that just, just getting between uh, Binoche and, um, and Ken Watanabe, you know, does it, does, and, and even Bryan Cranston at this point, because Cranston was very well regarded at this point. Well, uh, he won an
3: Emmy. Had, yeah. Hadn't he won a couple Emmys or something like that? Yes. He was up for
2: yeah, it. Yeah, because Breaking Bad had just end, had just wrapped, because Breaking Bad ended in 2013, so he had won his Emmys for Breaking Bad, but I'm saying this is, you know, um, it, it's th- there, there's a lot of well-regarded actors and actresses in this film, not necessarily playing the leads, you know, but b- the first characters we're introduced to really are all played by really outstanding uh, uh, actors.
3: Yeah. So, the thing with uh, Bonoche is that uh, she actually originally was not going to take the role in the movie. She didn't want to be in the movie. So, Garth uh, Edwards, uh or Gareth, or not Garth, Gareth Edwards uh, wrote her a letter, and she was so touched by the letter that she said, no, I'm going to be in your film. And I wondered, you know, I didn't realize people still wrote letters. Uh, <laughs> but I guess, you know, to, taking her back to her English patient days, I guess, that'll kind of convince her, like, oh, I'm so moved. We. Okay, funny story. We were on the track bus for college, so Division One track, you know, bus. Kind of have an idea what we're talking about here, right? Kind of right. A little rowdy after a track meet. They we watched whatever movie on the way up. The movie on the way back, the English Patient. I'm telling you right now, no one wanted to watch. That seems English. odd. Yeah, I think no. someone heard it was supposed to be good, so we got it. But anyway,
4: um, mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: So um, right, so uh, a tremor breaches the reactor and that, that uh, as someone who's worked um, done engineering work involving nuclear power plants, that that hit a little close to home. Uh, but the a Tremor breaches the reactor forcing Joe to close the reactor containment doors before Sandra and her team can escape while the plant collapses and that's heavy, heavy stuff, you know, not even 15 minutes into this giant monster movie as, uh, as we have to watch Joe seal, His wife Sandra in the containment with the rate with where we have a local loss of coolant, uh, loss of containment accident, and all the radioactive steam is uh, going to kill every one of that team. That's uh, that that's pretty hardcore stuff right here. Mm And And, I guarantee you, sorry, I guarantee you,
3: there's a lot of people who are like, uh... you know, they're (laughs) thinking they're going to go see like 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 a a, a monster fight movie, like you know, they're thinking they're going to see like. Let's just have two monsters fight each other. Okay, that's what this is going to be. Like, you know, I, and I, I wish I was kidding, but there's, a, there's as many kaiju fans as there are, there are way more who are not, who just want to see two monsters fight. And they got story and they're like, huh, someone put story in my monster fight movie. You know what I'm saying? And like the stories, you know, but it makes you care about what happens because we have to, uh, we have Brian Cranston's character. Um, you know, he's obviously takes his job very seriously and he's very into this, but like, you need this, you need to have the loss, you need to have the things happen, but it's not exactly what you would get in, you know, a typical monster movie kind of thing necessarily, you know? Yeah. But I mean, that's why it's Gareth Edwards and not just, you know, you know, whoever making, you know, Sharknado five. Right. So, yeah. you
2: know. <laughs> And, uh, so Binoche. She said in an interview later that Quentin Tarantino, of all uh, people, told her that he cried during Sandra's death. Yeah. Saving it was, quote, the first time I've ever cried during a 3D blockbuster. <laughs> you could just see Quentin Tarantino getting I'm into I'm a blubbery mess. Oh, man, I can't huh? believe can't it, 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 It's, like, so affecting, man. You know. <laughs> you know.
4: <laughs> <laughs> If, oh. if
2: you're listening, I'm a big fan. I promise. Yeah, but,
4: uh, yeah we love you, Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: Fifteen years later, Joe and Sandra's son Ford, a U.S. Navy EOD officer, returns from a tour of duty to his wife L and his son Sam in San Francisco, but must immediately depart for Japan after Joe is detained for trespassing in Janjira's quarantine zone. So we got a couple of characters there. So uh, Ford Brody. Or just call him Brody, probably for the rest of the thing. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Um, Most people remember he was Quicksilver in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, but also was the title uh, star in the two Kick-Ass movies, just to keep the comic book uh, connection thing going. Uh, But um, believe it or not, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson has actually been, he's been acting since he was six. He was uh, born in 1990. And uh, he's been appearing in, in things for, for quite a long time. He's uh, been in a, a lot of kind of different things. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's funny looking at his uh, filmography. It's everything, like I said, from uh, Age of Ultron to uh, Shanghai Nights to The Illusionist to uh, the, the 2012 version of Anna Karenina. So he's, uh, you know, he's, and, and he actually just, uh, just this past year was in Tenet, you know, so uh, moving from Gareth Edwards to uh, Christopher Nolan. You know, keeping the uh, intelligent genre movie guys uh, routine going on, and you know what's funny about Ford is that he, the character of Ford, is really, really criticized by a lot of people in this, uh, in in the Godzilla fandom, that oh he's so boring, he's so wooden, and it's really funny because there's a in the scenes in um, in '99 in Janjira, there's a bit where Sandra and Joe are talking. And Sandra calls him a maniac, right? And he goes, and he's like, well, you're a maniac. Maybe you're a maniac about some things. And, and that when I was re-watching this, I, I wrote that down because it makes me think, okay, well, Joe is a maniac, but Ford is the reserved, measured guy, right? And he's EOD. EOD guys, explosive ordnance disposal, cannot be maniacs. EOD guys have to be the, you know, think twice, move once type of personality. And given his dad's personality and losing his mom at an early age and him joining the military and especially being EOD, yeah, Ford is going to be a guy who's not going to be prone to big outbursts of emotion. He's not going to be prone to, you know, the kind of obsessive, um, uh, self-fulfilling behaviors like his dad is. I like that Ford is really just, I'm just trying to do my job and get home. That, that's his whole arc for this movie, and I really like that. He's a very grounded character. Now, perhaps that's not as entertaining as, you know, uh, Brian Cranston's character is, but I like Ford because of his, because of the differences from his father. He's not a, you know, uh, a big action hero type. He's very much a reserved character.
3: So part of that, though, too, is like, I mean, I, I've I've always heard those criti- criticisms. Try saying that again. Uh, as well, the problem is is that I don't know what people want. Like, mm-hmm. do they want like like this movie doesn't need Arnold Schwarzenegger from the eighties, you know, guns blazing, Stallone, gun. Bla- they don't need that. Like, what did you want here? Like, this is the kind of character that makes sense. It's like probably more realistic than what you're. Go- I mean, we wanted a, you wanted a character. You wanted a cartoon. Like I'm not sure what people wanted instead of that. Um, it makes a lot of sense in the story he needs to be the yin to Brian Cranston's yang, you know, kind of thing when the, when they're when they're interacting with each other. Um, he needs to make sense of things. He he's the one who's really through the whole story who keeps his head the entire time. Like what did you want? I mean, I don't know. Maybe people wanted like to just be a shoot 'em up, but that's not the movie you're getting. And I and I, I don't understand well. I do understand how it happens because a lot of people don't don't think they just I want this movie to do this and it doesn't make any sense because that's why not everyone makes movies or writes stories or can tell a story. You know what I'm saying? So, And that's why Gareth Edwards, yeah. you know, literally does this for a living and gets paid millions of dollars to do it. You know? Right. So, yeah. I don't know. I, what I'm saying is I don't know what people expected. Like did they did they I, really I, think, I think they people
2: were- wanted something a bit broader? Like, and I'm, and this is not a criticism because I'm a huge fan. Like if, if you had a character, uh, an actor like the rock, if Dwayne yeah. Johnson is the lead in this film, that's a much different type of film, and clearly not the type of story that uh, you know Gareth Edwards and Max Bornstein were going for with this mm-hmm. film. Ma- Max Bornstein, the uh, the screenwriter, right? Right. So I
3: just I'm just saying it's like I mean The Rock and in in like Kevin Hart and Jumanji and 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 um,
2: uh, Central intelligence.
3: No, yeah, who's the heavy set guy with them? Um, oh, oh Jack me. Black. Jack Black, thank you. Yeah. Those are all big characters. Well, Jumanji is, a, is an action movie. It's over the top, it's insane. I mean, I'm talking about Welcome to the Jungle, right? Kind of thing. Yes. It's yeah. supposed to be like that. That's not what you have here. So, you know, if you wanted The Rock, okay, then go see Central Intelligence, go see San Andreas, go see uh, Skyscraper, right? Is that the one where he jumps yes. with a fake leg, which is impossible <laughs> uh, because math says so? Um, but you know right go see those things but that's not what you're getting here i mean yes you are going to believe that there's a 200 foot tall you know lizard fighting another 200 foot tall monster but like it's it, it, things have to have a ground in reality if you don't have a ground in reality then the fantastical stuff is impossible does that make sense yes right like think about like i don't give a i don't care what you go back you can go back to the original godzilla the original Godzilla is grounded in reality that this creature comes out of the sea and lays waste to Japan is okay. Like everything else is in reality. So this could be real. I mean, we know it's not real, but if you, if you make your thing too fantastical, people just are like, Oh, this is crazy. You know? This is this is jumping cars between buildings, back. <laughs> forth. That's never happened in any Fast and the Furious movie. Like it's too fantastical to happen. If nothing's grounded in reality, how are you supposed to make a serious movie about the like? This is what could happen if 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 you know a giant prehistoric beast was radiated and came back and did this.
2: Okay. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and the other character we meet in the scene is L. Brody, who is Elizabeth Olsen. And you're like, hey, wasn't she the other guy's sister in that other movie? And you're right, because, of course, uh, Elizabeth <laughs> Olsen, best known as Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch yes. in the, the Marvel films. Uh, as she She's had a little bit better survival rate than, uh, than, <laughs> uh, than uh, Joe Johnson yeah. did in the Marvel movie, yeah. so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> um, the, uh, the thing is, I'm, I was the, it's funny because I know that she was in, uh, old boy in 2013, the but, uh, the remake of old boy. Yes. But I, other than, I mean, really, this was the Godzilla was the first film I really remembered her from. So, I mean, I knew, like, I remember that, you know, I, when I saw Godzilla, was like, oh yeah, she's supposed to be in that Avengers movie next year. Right. But to me, she'll always be the, you know, uh, uh, L from Godzilla more than anything else. So I don't know if that's a, uh. Um, you know, a, I don't, I don't know if that's a, 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 a knock on her or not,
3: you no, know, no, no. but for you, she's always going to be that for everyone else. She's Wanda because now yeah. she is, um, so much bigger just from that. But the reality is she's Mary Kate and, uh, uh, Ashley's uh,
4: younger sister. Ashley's yes.
3: Young sister, right. You know, kind of thing. Um, and it's funny cause she does look like them a little, but like not, not the super scary way that they look like. You know,
1: know,
2: see, what I would have done is I would have cast her as Michelle on Fuller House and have her just, you know, that would have that would have really trolled some people right then. Right. (laughs) Oh, you mean on Fuller House, the remake? Yes, Right. Uh, That would be
3: so funny. (laughs) Did you get a lot taller? And like,
2: like, I know we haven't I know we haven't seen you in like 20 years, but like you look different. I don't know.
3: Yeah. (laughs) You don't look like a walking skeleton with another walking skeleton next to you.
2: You know, kind of thing. Oh, oh man. But yeah, Liz, Liz Ols- Elizabeth Olsen is uh, L, and uh, you know, again, she now this in, in one sense you can, um, I, I like her role in this film because she does get some really good emotional stuff towards uh, the back half of this film. When uh, the, the, the action shifts to San Francisco. But at the same time, the criticism of, well, you know, she's she's the mom at home, right? She's the wife at home waiting for the guy to come home. That's a very common criticism of Hollywood film for, you know, leading roles for women. And she definitely falls into that a bit. But she does a really good job with the, the bits that she has and the, the emotional stuff and the characterization stuff that she has to carry. But like,
3: know. OK, so I have friends who are in the military
2: whose wives are at home. And are often nurses. I will say yeah. that too. We'll nurses or teachers yeah. are, are the stereotypical soldier's wife routines. Yeah. You know,
3: but I'm saying this: I have friends who are who are off, you know, fighting in whatever war and come back, and their wife was home taking care of the children, doing the things while they were off at war. He was off on he was on active duty. Yes, it wasn't like he was just gallivanting around the world. He's not. He's not. You know, Carmen Sandiegoing it up. He's literally doing something, right? You know. So a red coat you know, and a jaunty hat. Yeah. yeah, I'm saying. You know, he's like, where the hell's Waldo? Uh, you know, kind of thing. Uh, but he's he's doing his job. He came home, and that's all he wants to do. And she's a nurse. It's not like she's nobody. Yep. Like I'm just. I don't yeah. know. I I,
2: I she, think she's, sometimes she's a she's an ER nurse. You know, she's yeah. she's, she's got a, her own high stress thing going on too. I, th- I think sometimes people just want to like complain to
3: complain um
1: yeah. they
3: want to like knock everything down or like let's 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 take digs at this so what okay so what if it was the rock instead of uh instead of uh you know um johnson godzilla there johnson. Yeah. And, right and what if it was oh i don't know pick some action hero we star you know and she like was what i like, whatever. did the movie wouldn't be about
2: godzilla anymore They'd be stealing cars or racing cars or... You keep, coming back, you keep coming back to Fast and the Furious, man. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go.
3: <laughs> There's like a thousand of those movies, though. Um, and, then, and they're and then they all
2: keep... supremely entertaining, especially right, if you're on a right. cross-country flight like I
3: watched a lot of them. But none of them have the story depth that this movie does. And they that's the problem. Family. Yeah. Family. Oh, no, family. You know, yeah. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hey, whatever we do. I mean, dude, I'm not going to. Hobbs and Shaw was on the other day. I love Hobbs and Shaw. That movie's crazy, right? Kind of thing when The Rock is like pulling together. please he's pulling a helicopter by himself because it's The Rock, right? And I get that, but that story has nothing depth wise a story that you have in this Godzilla movie because it's not about. Yes, I get it. Godzilla is the, the part of the story. But for the amount of screen times that the Mudos have, about, what, 11 minutes, and the, that Godzilla has the entire thing, this is about the reality of, like, the world that's here. And part of the problem is, excuse me, and, and they, they people want to just kind of take digs at it, because they, they, they say they want just monster fights and this, that, and the other thing. So if you give them mindless monster fights and nothing major, there was no story. Where's the heart of the movie? And then, like, you give them heart and story. They're like, oh, well, where's the monster fights? Like, I, I don't get it. Like, what do you want yeah. to happen? I, the thing is this. We're, we're establishing this is the origin story, right? To put it in terms that some people understand, because if it's not comic books, we don't get it, right? This is the origin story, though, right? Aren't we telling right. the story, like, through different means of Godzilla? Yes. So, not everyone is as well-versed. I am assuming most people going to see a Godzilla movie might know who Godzilla is. But mm-hmm. not everyone has watched every single Godzilla movie
4: all the way through,
3: right? Not everyone knows about well, you know, uh, in 1985, you know, 85, there was this, but then, or 1984 was this, but they re- they put other things in for 85. Like not everyone knows that stuff. But remember the, what was the last Godzilla movie before this. It was the, was it, the, it was it the final? It, it wasn't no, that came out in the U S Oh, Godzilla 98. It was, it was the It was the U.S. Godzilla, right? well, well, te- well Godzilla two thousand no. was the last one released in theaters in the right. U.S. Yes, Godzilla two thousand is the last time you had Godzilla in the movie theaters, right? right. And everyone's had a bad taste in their mouth from Godzilla ninety eight. So could, because what everyone complained in Godzilla ninety eight, it was not serious enough. It what he didn't really look like Godzilla, whatever the case might be. But if one of the big complaints was about the female reporter. They hated her, and they didn't like Matthew Broderick, and they didn't like Hank Azaria. So those characters were not played, let's be honest, they were not super serious characters. No. Right? They kind of were, whatever. So now we're giving you a better story with more things, and you complain about that. I think it's just people wanting to complain, to be honest
2: with you. Yeah, but I do. Anyway. I, I mean, that that is part of it. They derail us. I'm just saying. No, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's it's there. there's a lot of truth to that, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, so so to, to recap here, Joe so, is he, trespassing in Janjira. Joe is determined to find out the cause of the meltdown and persuades Ford to accompany him to retrieve vital data from their old home. They discover that the zone is uncontaminated and retrieve the data, but are discovered and taken to a facility in the plant's ruins. So this scene okay, is correct, where... Correct,
3: what's for, that? You know, did you notice, obviously it's not contaminated, but did you notice yes. that things were starting to grow? We don't yes. know this yet, right? We don't know this until later, and more often right, in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, we really learned right. it. But,
4: yeah. but
3: they, at least they set it there. It, and now, if everything had been desolate there and nothing was growing, that would be contradictory to what we later learned. But we now, we see it here, and once you know to look for it, it's like, oh, it's right in front of our faces.
2: Right. You know? Yeah, the idea that the, uh, and we'll get to the eventually cover king of the monsters but the idea that the the titans are part of the natural order and yep. that they're there to restore balance and that now that the titans have been here things are starting to regrow in janjira uh to that end when they go to their old house there is that giant millipede crawling outside their house yes <laughs> and i li- i'm i like millipedes i think millipedes are really neat I think it's cool that millipedes are completely harmless to people. They are centipedes. um, Some centipedes are actually quite poisonous uh, or venomous, I should say. Venomous, not poisonous. I think they're poisonous also, but they are venomous. To humans, and they are are hard to keep as pets. Millipedes will gladly crawl around your arm and do no problem. They are are herbivorous. They eat moss and other leafy green vegetables. And they do get quite big. I've never seen one quite as big as that, but I have seen one close. Uh, My wife and I were uh, on a nature trail at um, uh, Black Bear Wilderness Trail in uh, central Florida. It's a little bit north of Orlando. And I have a picture of a millipede that had to be a, a, like 9, 10 inches long. This was a huge millipede just growing down here in the swamps in Florida. You know, just hanging out on a fence post, minding his own business, you know. But uh, I do like that big millipede. I, I, in the back of my head, I've always tried to out can I make a millipede into a kaiju? I would call him gigapede. But uh, anyway, Um and the other the other bit everyone loves from this film is uh, so uh, Ford and Joe Joe is looking for his disc. Ford is kind of just looking around the ruins of their house, and uh, he finds his old room, and he finds the little GI Joe toy, which will come in as a, um, a MacGuffin device a little bit later in the film. But but we see the moth habitat, the, and it says Ford's moth, but there is another piece of. Uh, it looks, it, it's the R A from the Janjira font. So it's, it's something about Janjira plant that has landed in front of it or is attached in front of it. So it says Mothra on yeah. the uh, Moth habitat, which is a nice little, little Easter egg. Uh, Mothra of course does not appear in this film, but will appear in the sequel. You know, cause so you can't, can't keep the big four down for long. Um, the other bit that I liked and that really starts to drive one of the themes of this film home is that. The the scenes in 1999, those were actually taking place on Joe's birthday, and so Ford, uh, and with Sandra's help, had strung up a paper sign that said "Happy Birthday, Dad," which is yeah. still hanging in the house. When Ford came home, uh, L and their young son Sam had strung up a paper sign that said "Welcome Home, Daddy." So that the yeah. connection there of you know, of, uh, of the family celebrating dad in some sense, uh, that there's a much broader theme that we will see played out in this, um, in, in this film of the idea of, uh, families being separated and drawn together and separated. And, and, and it extends even to, and I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but it extends even to the Mutos. The Mutos are kind of in the same, scenario. The only the only character who is not like that is Godzilla because Godzilla is a singleton, right? He's a he is a, a single entity unto himself in this film. Everybody else is draw their their family groups are drawn together and split apart repeatedly through this film. And so it it again that gets back to what we said about Ford. His whole motivation get back to his family. Well that's the same that you know that that was what Joe wanted. That was what Sandra wanted. That's what the Mutos want. You know, so it's 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 very that I again, that was something that I didn't necessarily put together, put two and two together the first time I watched it, but really stood out to me on this viewing.
4: Uh,
2: yeah, a lot. Of, I mean, the thing is, this
3: movie, uh, um, to, to, to use a Shrekism, it's like an onion. There's yeah. layers, you know, kind of thing. Right. Uh, how about a parfait? I like a parfait. has got layers. Um, but, you know, sorry. Ain't
2: nobody ever said, man, I don't like no parfait. <laughs>
3: So, but there's like, there's a whole bunch of stuff in this film that when you first watch it, you miss because yeah. it's you're designed to miss it. You're not designed to catch the stuff in the first one. You're really through. And it's upon second viewing that you now can pick up some of those things. I mean, maybe you caught the Mothra thing at first or whatever kind of thing, but there's so many things that tie it together because you're just kind of like getting grossed in the story that you might miss some of those little details. And then on your second viewing, or third viewing, or whatever, you start picking these things up like, oh, wait a minute. Like, that's here. Wait, I thought that was later. Oh, it's there too. Like these, it just, but that's what good filmmaking does, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, some people want to go like, well, I'll go back and look at this movie that was tanked, you know, or was panned back in the day. And you look at it now, you're like, oh, it's just bad, you know, kind of thing. Like that happens. And people are like, no, no, you can rediscover it. Like you can try, but there's nothing there. You're looking for things that don't exist with good filmmaking. There are things that exist in the film that you might not catch on your first glance. But right. when you go back and rewatch, you catch it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you if the, not not to I know this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but like literally watch The Usual Suspects if you've never seen it, watch it all the way through. Get it to the end, which I won't tell you, and then watch it again, and you're going to watch a whole a different movie, because there's so many things that happen in that movie that you don't catch on to because you don't know to look for them, and once you know to look for them, they're there. And here, I mean, th- like the sign he's hanging up and, and yeah, maybe you made, maybe, maybe you thought about that, but it wasn't super important that he was hanging the sign, but it, it has a connective thread throughout. And that's important for what Gar- the story Garth Edwards is telling mm-hmm. is that the whole way through there's connective tissue. And if you start look, or, or you know, or, or however we want to say it, right? The connections yeah. there. And if you start looking for that connection, it helps the story flow better. In artwork or like in a model or something you're doing, you want the eye to flow through the piece. You talk about eye flow and stuff like that. In a movie, you want things to flow through as a theme that you can have the audience, even not knowing they're getting it, kind of follow through. It allows them to uh, help them on the proper journey. When you don't have things like that, your movie feels disjoint and slapped together. And that's part of the problem. When you watch, like, Again, I don't know how many people have ever seen the movie Monsters. It's great, but Rogue One's a mm-hmm. perfect example of that. We know how Rogue One has to end, right? I mean, we know it has to end with that with, with the beginning of New Hope. That's how it has to end, and we know what has to happen to those people because, uh, uh, you know, those people, the, the people who were in Rogue One, their main stars, you know, Jin Urso and whatever, they'd be really useful during the rebellion, and they're not there. So, you know, what has to happen, but the entire time you're taken on this journey with them through their story and how their story connects in and out of the rebellion that you know about already, and you can follow that story right through. So when you get to the end, you get pissed at what happens because you know, it has to happen. I mean, you're at the end of a movie and you're like, I mean, open, I'm crying at the end. And I know that has to end that way. I know what has to happen, and you right. still get upset because that's what filmmaking does, and he does it here. But it was those little, the little touches here and there. But the problem is, I think a lot of times, excuse me, is that uh, and now remember this was only his second movie. You know, directors usually don't get the credit for being like, you know. Geniuses, quote unquote, right kind of thing, like oh, what he's a, he, like the Ridley Scots of this world, the Tony Scots of this world, right? Things like that. It takes a few movies, it takes a number of years for them to be able to kind of weave that thing all the way through, so that people realize that they're on that journey. garth Edwards is doing it in his second film, right? Like he's setting you up in the second film, and in a in a quote unquote air quotes to the mic, I'm moving my fingers, right? Giant monster movie. Mm-hmm. It's
4: just
3: a vehicle. It's just his vehicle to get you there. You know? I mean, so, anyway, sorry, again, I keep derailing things. No, no,
2: that's that's what we're here for. So, the facility that they are taken to harbors a massive chrysalis that has been feeding off of the plant's reactors for 15 years. Just Mm -hmm. like, you know, 15 years back in 1999, emitting a strong electromagnetic pulses over time. A giant winged insect-like creature emerges from the chrysalis and escapes... Destroying the facility, Joe Joe is severely injured and later dies, but the incident is reported as an earthquake. So here we get the MUTO, the mm-hmm. massive, unidentified terrestrial organism. And, uh, you know, you talk about this a lot on Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the idea that Harryhausen gave his Cyclops legs like a satyr, gave it goat-style legs, so that it could not be a man in a suit. And the way that this is the, uh, the male Muto and the way that it walks, the way that it moves, this would be extremely difficult to pull off with suitmation about the closest might be Legion from Gamera um, attack of attack of Legion. And that was actually the massive Legion queen was played by two people to get the legs and limbs to move in the, the insectoid way. But uh, for a, For a monster that is realized entirely by CG, I think the Mudo is a very cool designed monster, and I really like the way it moves, and it's definitely menacing. It it definitely exudes a horrific menacing aspect.
3: Yeah, so originally uh, there was talk that it was going to be King Ghidorah, right? That was originally talked about the original monster from the fight. I think it's a good idea not to have King Ghidorah be in the first one, Mm-hmm. You already have to explain Godzilla's origin story. You already have to kind of set things up. You're better off having a monster that no one has any connection to so that you can just kind of be, it's a monster, whatever. If you if you rolled out King Ghidorah, I think it's too much in the first story. I think that's, you needed to kind of establish who Godzilla is, that he's an Earth defender, like give him a, like, here's his role, right? Um, and, then, and then you can then bring out, the, you know, the, you know, King Ghidorah in in, in the sequel. Yeah. Um, the Mutos themselves, though, um, supposedly at least what um, I've read is that some of their design was based on like uh, I, I I don't want to say King Kong, but it was kind of inspired by some of Kong, like 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 I think Peter Jackson's Kong probably more than anything else, like because it because it kind of walks on its its hands and they stuff. They walk like, on
2: just, yeah, both the Muto. Okay. They walk on their knuckles. Yes. It, we would like we would think like an ape, but it's almost like a bat, like the way a yes. bat will walk on yeah. its knuckles. Because especially the male with his wings. Yeah. But it is a similar sort of sort of visual where you see him with his knuckles on the ground. In fact, he crushes somebody under one of his his forelimbs like that. So so
3: the thing is they've credited
2: it as saying that um, it's again it's been said that they took inspiration
3: from uh, from uh, Ridley Scott's Alien uh, back in '79. Um, that there's Jurassic Park kind of ideas. I think some of the Jurassic Park is the the creature on the loose kind of thing instead of like necessary design elements, but more the way it like kind of reacts and moves, especially when it's crushing people. And then um, and again, I don't know how true this is, but the report said that um, the the um, the bugs from uh, Starship Troopers, the
4: right.
3: you call them the. The, the, the black ones with the red and whatever. I forgot what they technically yeah, are
2: called. the warrior bugs, aren't they? The
3: warrior bugs. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? That the Muto has some design elements from it. I think by the fact, because of the the, the kind of like the angular like to like the way it's arms yeah. or angular, I think that's what they're referring to. Because otherwise than that, they don't share a whole lot in common. It's not arachnid. It's definitely something. It's hard to think. It's hard to describe. You look at it, you're like, I don't know. It, it's it's a big monster coming this way. Like you're not saying like, oh no, it's a big snake, or yeah. oh no, it's a big pterodactyl, or oh no, it's a big bear, whatever, right? It doesn't look like anything. Yeah. It kinda looks like you're like, Okay, is what's happening? Like it kind of looks alien. So I, I, I don't know, I don't know if they did that on purpose. It kind of looks and I don't mean alien like like xenomorph. I mean alien kind of like something that came from you know, planet X or something like that. You know what I'm saying?
2: Well, you know, that's, and it, it's funny because I, one of the things I like about the MUTO is that it does have, and, and I've talked about this before, the idea that like arthropods are about the closest to an alien life form we have on earth. Cause it's about as far away from human or right. primate as we can understand, but it's still, it's still a terrestrial life form. The yeah. MUTO are the same way. That's where their name comes from. They are a, a, a terrestrial organism. And I think you're right. Not using King Ghidorah is the right call because they yeah. King of the Monsters has to go to great lengths to inform the audience why something like King Ghidorah can exist, and it's because yeah. well he's not from this ecosystem. Yeah. He's from outer space, you know. And uh, and and they do a great job of that. I think. Just I said this when we did Is It Jaws, but just the. Um, the fact that they call him an invasive species to me immediately sells that. Whereas here Mm -hmm. you can buy the muto as a prehistoric life form. If we're willing to accept that Mm -hmm. this alpha predator like Godzilla exists and there had to be some kind of prey. Right. And that, and that's what these guys are. And that's why they, you know, they're, 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 they're threatening and they're scary, but you're right. They, we understand them because we're not told much about them. We know how they behave, but we're not thinking it's like, well, you know, th- this this one's a lot different than the showa version of Muto because the showa version of Muto did this this and this, you know, and then the heisei yep. version of Muto did this and this. It's like by right. making it something original. It's funny because the unmade 1994 TriStar Godzilla had kind of a similar not yes. not a, a similar approach. Their monster was yep. called the Griffin. Yep. And again, it w- that one was a man-made monster rather than a prehistoric type of thing. But same kind of idea of using an original monster for Godzilla to fight.
3: So remember, um, um, where does that go? Godzilla 2000. And when, when, when I mean, when, obviously when, when he's fighting, nah, I forgot. Orga, thank you. Yeah. And doesn't Orga change? Like, isn't it come, like, is that the one that comes into two parts? Like it like splits in half? No.
2: No, Orga. Thinking? Orga is the okay. So Orga starts out. He's in the big UFO.
4: Yes. And then oh, he right comes
2: out, and he looks. He's the Millenian alien, is what he's called. He looks yes. like a big a jellyfish. Yes. And he absorbs okay. the Organizer G1 from Godzilla's blood, and then he turns into the big Orga that we that we know.
3: Yes. Okay, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, he did. He changed what he was. Yes. Right. We didn't need to have an established like it wasn't Titanosaurus or Gorosaurus. Although I would love both of them um (laughs) it it wasn't it wasn't something we already knew it didn't have to be like you know rodan it didn't have to be bachelor it didn't have to be something we had it was something new and that monster is okay because we can buy into like okay it's an alien sure right because to be honest godzilla 2000 uh, and i'm not trying to i mean again i know some people love it i love the movie but you know but i'm saying there's it's not the most deep story Right. Like, it's not, it's not world-building kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? It's a good entry, but it's just a, an entry. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, but I think, it, as a movie, it's entertaining as heck. But I don't think we needed to have, like, that big thing. The other thing is this. Remember in Rodan, the little mm-hmm. bugs? They're not the little. Me- they
2: kill the mega-neuron.
3: The mega-neurons. They are dangerous, and they kill people. What are yeah. they real? They're a snack for Rodan. Right. Right. So what is the Muto? The Mutos in general are dangerous. They'll kill everybody in their way. They'll kill all kinds of humans. They'll destroy cities and whatever. But they're not up to Godzilla's level. And I'm not trying to be, you know, like demean what they're doing. But they're not the alphas.
4: Yeah.
2: And that that becomes the plot. They say that later. We'll get to this. It's like, well, why would the prey call the Predator? You know,
1: yeah.
2: and yeah. and uh, I do love that they call him the alpha predator. In my mind, I have to always correct myself with saying apex predator, but that that's a whole other that's a whole other can of worms that I'm not going to open. Yeah. But yeah, we want to uh, talk about
3: this kind of stuff around here.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, we'll we'll <laughs> it can't do that. But uh, the other <laughs> thing is okay. So Joe Brody, Joe Brody mm-hmm. is wounded and then dies on the helicopter. Uh, yeah. You know, right there with Ford. And this, like I said, this ticked off a lot of people because mm-hmm. the a lot of the marketing for this film centered on Brian Cranston's character and yep. people were very upset that Brian Cranston was killed off very early on in this film. And you know it, it's funny because when a, um, when a, when a female character is killed to serve as motivation for the male character that's called women in refrigerators the verb mm-hmm. is you say the character was fridged. But really, isn't Joe just fridged here for for Ford? You know, does, Isn't this just one more thing that Ford has to shoulder that, that has happened in his relatively young life that he's had to deal with? Is that not only did his mom die when he was a little kid, and his dad has gone a little crazy, and his dad is always getting in trouble. And now he he has gone and gotten arrested in uh, by, for trespassing in a, a quarantine zone. And now there's a giant monster. And now his dad dies in his arms essentially so it's one you know is is this is is Joe being fridged here
3: well I think part of the thing though and and, um, Hitchcock did it in Psycho where people did not expect Janet Leigh to die that early into oh sorry spoiler alert but the movie's like 70 (laughs) years old build a bridge and get over yourself sorry 60 years old it's not 70 years
2: how could I be so wrong Um, there are some people really ticked off as like Janet Leigh dies in Psycho yeah it's like yeah. janet lee was in psycho that movie with vince vaughn you know <laughs> um
3: yeah well it, it could be anne hache it doesn't matter yeah
2: um uh, so you know whatever <laughs> it Voice could be anne hache couldn't it yeah. that um, sounds like a band name you know yeah, live tonight at the pit it could be anne hache uh well followed by stomach bump anyway uh so
3: uh the, the thing is, like, Hick, Hitchcock did it there. People were shocked to see her die. I mean, the, the whole scene is like, oh, whatever, that's a whole other can of worms. But that Janet Lee, the biggest star in your movie, the lead star in this movie, is dead. And she dies even further into the movie than Brian Cranston does, right. right? People were mad because they want, because you know why? Because everyone loves Walter White. Oh, the guy who's making meth and killing people and melting them in their bathtubs and all that stuff. And throwing pieces you know, on roofs right this is this is the guy who they all love because he's he's gonna he'll stick it to the man like you're rooting for a meth addict or, or, or a meth dealer but yeah. like okay you know but that's what they're rooting for and they wanted the movie to be something that it was not that his death serves perfectly to set up the rest of the film like if he lives so let's say he lives What's he gonna tag along with his son
4: yeah. to
3: get home? Where is he gonna go? Unless more, more than
2: likely stays. he hangs out with Sarazawa and Graham for the rest of the movie, right. basically.
3: Right. So he hangs out there, but we don't see them the whole like they're not they're not the main focus of like what's ha- it's because it's going back and forth between your stories. if Brian Cranston's your star he needs to be on screen, right? I mean, that's usually what a star does. It's Soon, you know, uh, uh, you know, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, the, so he needs to be on the screen. So if he's not on the screen a bunch, because this isn't his story
2: to tell, you know, I mean, yeah. I, don't know. I mean, I, maybe it's- I, I. I mean, to me, again, it's one of the. You know, uh, I, I talk about this with *Return of the Jedi* all the time, right? When you're young and you watch *Return of the Jedi*, and you're a son, the movie means one thing right yep. but then you get older and mm-hmm. you become a father and a son and you watch return of the jedi and it means a whole mess of new stuff right yep this is a movie that means a whole mess of different things if you're a parent and a child versus just a child right so yep. the the the, the I, I i and especially especially for ford cuz he's both ford is both a parent and a child in this movie and and i feel for both sides of it you mm-hmm. know so, um, you know, our, you know, I, have not lost a parent, but my wife has, you know, yeah. and, and, and I, I've, I've seen it. I've seen that firsthand. I understand the, the emotional impact of that, especially in, in Ford's case in such a high stress situation. Yeah. So, you know, yes, it, to me, it was, it was, it was a twist, but I, it, I didn't, I didn't get up. I mean, I was shocked a little bit by it, but I wasn't angry about it. It was like, you know, it's like, OK, that that's it's it's just one more stomach punch that he has to deal with that that Ford has to now, again, shoulder this burden that that he didn't ask for and doesn't particularly want. But right now. Now it's his, you know, and that that's right. as a soldier, he soldiers on.
3: Right. Well, I think so, some of it, though, know, uh-huh. I mean, I think I think there's just saying just one of the things that and it might just be because like just the way I am, I'm because I'm super cynical about a lot of things. Like, when he's hurt and injured, and I'm like, oh, he, he. watch, they'll keep him alive. They wouldn't possibly kill him here, and they kill him. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Like, wasn't happy he died? But I'm like, oh, that took some guts. That took some, you yeah. know, ponies, as we would say, you know, to kind of like, you're going to yeah. kill off your star? Go for it, Garth Edwards, because that's a big decision. Yeah. Right? I mean, I know it's not his, he's not the writer. But at the end of the day, the director and the writer and all that stuff like they could have changed things and like, oh, he got better. Like right. you know, like uh, like what Duke or Hawk or whoever who got Duke, better? Yeah, it's Duke. Duke. Duke got better. Like no, he's not. He's dead. Right, he kind got of things. hit in the heart with a cobra.
2: I mean, I'm sorry. You don't
3: dead. You don't just come back from that. I mean, unless you're weak in at burning it, you know, kind of <laughs> things like where he's like eh, it did it. You know, kind of whatever. <laughs> um, but the thing is, I think it takes a lot of guts to do that, and and at the end of the day when you're making a movie that is truly your vision so okay so the guy who does that a lot and i think people don't always give him credit for it but he does it gremble del toro does that in his movies Mm, yeah and people love him because i mean he's gremble del toro he's he's like huggable and squishy he looks like you know what i mean people get him and and peter jackson confused because they both look like hobbits because they are but um, they're like, oh, look at these guys, you know, kind of thing, right? But P- 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 he, Guillermo del Toro makes decisions in his movies like that, too. And you're like, oh, oh, okay, that's where we're going with this, huh? Okay. Right. And takes guts to do that, which is why del Toro movies, the movies he actually directs and stuff, not just the one he throws his producer credit on, right? Like right. like Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth and things like that, right? Even, yeah. even like the Hellboys and stuff, right? It right. takes guts to do those things, to put it out there, to make people feel something. Brian Cranston dies at this point. The dad's dead. His son is now like, uh, okay. This is not a, if, if he starts crying and acts like, a, like a, a completely, he's like, I can't do this. a game over. I won't think you would be like, what? No. He's like, all right, I have to absorb this and keep going. I need to get home to my wife and son. And isn't that like, you know, I mean, they make series of movies about this. Yeah. You know, I mean, even if the, even if I mean, his wife and son are alive, you know, we know Max's aren't, you know, kind of thing. Like, but, but isn't that the whole idea behind all the Mad Max movies? Right. You just keep going, whatever happens, you just keep
2: going. Mm-hmm. You know, there's even a, say, a, uh, and what and, and they talk about family, and not not the Vin Diesel vibe, you know. And again, I love Fast and Furious, so I, I'm I'm saying that from position of love. But uh, <laughs> you know, he says that Ford says that to Ellie. Goes I, when in San Francisco, I can't let him do this to our family. And she says, right. "He is your family." Yeah. You know, and and yeah. that's again, anyone who's 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 married knows that that idea. Uh, who's married and has kids like like ford and yeah. l do yeah, yeah, okay yeah, yeah. it's like which is your family is your family your parents or is your family your wife and children you know yeah. which is your or, or are they both your family and and that is a question every like i said every married person with children has to ask themselves at some point because you get into not necessarily this type of conflict but a conflict yeah. versus what is best for each side of that equation so right. yeah I, I i said i it to me I, and I might take some flack from this but I, I was from a narrative standpoint I was I was perfectly all right with Joe dying there uh-huh. and and I and I've never yes would it have been good to get more scenes of Brian Cranston yeah because Brian Cranston is a great actor but again I I I'm okay with that because I like the story that we're telling here and you know sometimes that that story that's being told is not convenient to well we cast this really popular guy we should have him on screen more I'm
3: saying so what would you have had happen if he's if I'm saying if yeah. people were saying he can like okay, so he's gonna do more with, with uh Sarazawa, he's gonna do more with that. Like we had that scene. There's not much more you can go there. I mean, he told them what he needed to tell them because they didn't believe him at first. They have them on their you know, they're like, you know, they're all being hush-hush. I mean, and then they come in. No, we need to know what's going on. Sarazawa says, I want to see him. Like yes. they have that stuff, like they you know, they have that time to be able to communicate but i just don't get like where people really want i mean did you really want him hanging around i mean what was he going to live the whole time and then at the because where's he going to die like he, he has to die at some point unless mm-hmm. you want to bring him back for the sequel right and then that's a different you know ball of wax because i mean he's got to then be what where where is he gonna have brian in the sequel
4: yeah, he's, I mean, few, at
3: that
2: point, he's still going to be hanging out with Sarazola at Monarch. That's that's pretty right. much the only yeah. the only end game here that I can see for Joe.
3: It's 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 yeah, it's exactly. There's nothing else you can. I mean, there's no other place to bring him. His arc makes sense to end here because it actually helps the movie move along, and and the 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 monsterverse itself, you know, which hadn't been you know really established yet, c- continue to create. Because it's not like we got to shoehorn this guy in just because we want to have him in a movie, right? I'm um, just
2: saying, you know. No, I'm so. I'm, on, I'm on board with you. So, we, 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 and, go.
1: we gotta get
2: going. We gotta get going here. So, Sarazawa <laughs> and Graham join a U.S. Navy task force led by Admiral William Stentz to search for the creature dubbed Muto. Sarazawa and Graham reveal to Ford that a 1954 deep sea expedition awakened Godzilla. And nuclear tests in the 1950s were really attempts to kill him. And that with this did not work, Project Monarch was established to study Godzilla and similar monsters. They also explain that the MUTO caused a Janjira meltdown. Ford reveals that Joe had monitored echolocation signals indicating the MUTO was communicating with something, presumably Godzilla. Um, this whole scene where they explain the origin of Monarch, this is really the basis of the MonsterVerse, and I, uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, yep. I think that using Monarch as the connective tissue for the idea of, of connecting these dissimilar monsters and these dissimilar stories makes perfect sense. Yep. Because a shadowy government organization can do whatever they want. Uh, and can and since they're established as being all around in 1954, it'll make perfect sense for them to be around in what 1973, I think, is when Skull Island takes place. 73, 74, right around there. Yeah. So uh, amusingly, uh, you know, by by that point, they're like any other bureaucracy. You know, they, we need Rand is like we need money, we need money. You know? but they, <laughs> here they they seem to have a bigger budget. Um, yeah. The um I I didn't write it down. I do love that they are on an aircraft carrier. I I I I had it and I don't have which which carrier they are on. Uh, oh, but they do tell us that.
3: Yeah, the they are on. I, I just had it in front of me and now it moved. Yeah. It's got an eighty-eight in the side of it. It is. God. Well, real quick before I as I'm looking for that, I yeah. will uh got the the, the uh, you're on the USS Saratoga.
2: Saratoga. That's what I thought it was. So that's really didn't <laughs> me get a. Yeah, and oh, uh, we, we all we all know about monster, Godzilla MonsterVerse movies and aircraft carriers get some people triggered. So I'll just move on from that. But go on with your other point.
3: Well, <laughs> the thing is, it has eighty-eight on it, which means it's a future. The hull number yeah. has uh, not yet been used in the real world navy, so it's a future Saratoga, etc. Anyway, yeah. Um, the the uh, the general or whatever he is, the guy who's running the Sar- the, run- the guy who's running the ship, Admiral right? Stentz, yeah. Admiral Stentz, Yep. Uh, you people might recognize him from a League of Their Own. He's the one who starts up the girls' baseball league. Yeah. He's the guy who tries to get it going. You know, uh, and I, I, I give that movie a lot of a lot of like you know, you know, guff. I don't really love A League of Their Own for certain parts, but A League of Their Own has literally some of the best lines ever from any movie. Um, and and Penny Marshall and and Gary Marshall are very you know they're they're good as it's you know brother and sister. I mean I think they're making their kind of thing, but it's always funny to me when like. You see someone who's in that role. Because I always see him, I'm like, oh, that's the guy from A League of Their Own. And I'm like, I don't like that movie. Right. But there's like a dozen <laughs> lines in that movie that are absolutely hysterical and really not appropriate here. My
2: heck! Uh, I'm just saying, uh, you know, kind of thing. The, the uh, line you can say from A League of Their Own that's always as appropriate is, you see how this works, see? The train moves, not the station. <laughs>
1: John Lovitz is great. <laughs> oh, oh, really?
2: Well, there's, again, I You want to talk about a beloved character leaving a movie too soon. John Lovitz leaves well, no, a league the of end. their own after like 15 minutes, and it's a crime. A crime, I say.
3: Oh, but the thing is, oh, God. I'm
2: sorry. There's just so many
3: things in there. But I'm saying, but like, I see him there, and I think the first thing I think of is like, oh, that's who he is. But like, but now he's older. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, because he used to be the guy who ran the baseball, the girls' baseball league, who was selling candy bars, but now he's uh, you know running a ship, I yeah. believe. So
2: uh, funny it's story. David, David I, Strathairn is, yes. is the name of that yeah. actor. Yeah.
3: Funny story. We dad and I were doing a thing the other day, and uh, 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 oh my god, I forgot his name. William, I can't think of his last name, but he played Paul Drake on uh, on Perry Mason.
2: Ah, uh, yes, yeah,
3: yeah. And I said, "Oh my god, it's Paul Drake," and I'm like, "Well, his name is William Hooper." I said, but he's William Hooper, but it's like, but it's Paul Drake. Like, you know, like to me, he might be a scientist or whatever he is in this movie,
1: but
3: he's Perry Mason's investigator. You know, kind of, I'm just saying, you know, kind of thing. So anyway, yeah, let's get going here.
2: <laughs> All right. So uh, this scene also, when, when during that brit that briefing that they give uh, Ford, I really like that Watanabe openly calls the monster Gojira. He does. He, he, Watanabe never calls him Godzilla in the entire film. And even on if you if you're watching on your Blu-ray disc, you put on the subtitles. They put Gojira in the subtitles. They do not put Godzilla whenever Sarazawa is referring to uh, to our uh, our titular star. So I, I I like that. This is a little a little nod there.
3: That that was Ken Watanabe's doing.
2: Original
3: yeah. the script had him saying Godzilla. And he had said he wouldn't say Godzilla, he would say Gojira. And they go yeah. and so Gareth Edwards again being smart to say, oh yeah, you're right, do that. It again, most people might not have noticed it if you are not a big you know Kaiju person. They just said okay, that great, they called him Gojira, but it makes perfect sense. The guy from Japan would call him Gojira, and it's like remember in in um, King Kong versus Godzilla, the you know the one from sixty whatever, right? But yep, they 62, said, yep. "Oh, it's Gojira,
2: Godzilla," it's like, oh, yeah. like, like well, that. that just, yeah, they they do the they do the same joke. They do that joke in '98, where the fisherman right. is saying Gojira, Gojira, and the idiot news there, Godzilla.
4: Like,
2: yeah, <sighs> right.
3: It's like it, it's it's you know it makes sense though. There was no, you wouldn't call it that, so
2: yeah. Anyway, but I do I do like that bit. Uh, so the MUTO attacks a Russian submarine. I do like that they name drop it and call it an Akula, which is a Russian nuclear submarine. If you've seen Crimson Tide, you know all about yes. an Akula class hunter-killing submarine. Uh, and uh, drops said submarine in Oahu to eat its nuclear material. Godzilla then arrives, causing a tsunami in Honolulu, and briefly engages a MUTO in battle until the MUTO flees. Okay, couple of things here. The we the moot the muto eating the nuclear reactor out of the submarine yep. that always brings me back. You meant you you mentioned it kind of in passing, but Godzilla 1984, aka Godzilla 1985, Godzilla pulls a nuclear reactor out of the power plant yep. and absorbs the nuclear radiation. Very much, um, you know what I'm reminded of there. I do love the idea of even though this film is not real big on the anti nuclear. Um, uh, symbolism, like the Japanese films were, um, nuclear power is still front and center in this. Unlike Godzilla '98, where it was uh, it was kind of just mentioned and then kind of shunted off to the side, uh, that film is not really about the the, the dangers of the of uh, atomic energy. Whereas this one does at least say it. It's like having all these atomic energy around, this atomic fuel for them to eat is what's awakened these creatures and brought them back into the real world. And now our proliferation of it means that, oh, yeah, there's plenty for it to feed on, you know. Uh, Also, again, in Godzilla 1985, a Russian nuclear submarine is attacked by Godzilla as well in in that film. I do like also the submarine just sitting in the – it's stuck in the trees in the mountains in uh, in Oahu. That's a cool scene, you know, again, talking about scale. You know, you don't think about how big a submarine is – Right. Most most civilians never get to see a nuclear submarine, but they're huge. They're huge yeah. ships, you know? I mean, they're not as huge as an aircraft carrier, but they're bigger than you think they are. So that, that was neat. Um, then Godzilla arriving in Honolulu and the tsunami, the tsunami wave, pushing all the cars down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this is not the case because I know what inspired this later scene, but my mind on this rewatch immediately jumped to the very beginning of Shin Godzilla. Right. with the tidal wave pushing all the cars and all the wreckage of the cars all piled up now that that it was directly inspired of course by the the tidal wave that uh, damaged Fukushima um, but here it's it's again it's bringing it's it's bringing in not only disaster imagery but to me horror imagery because when you yes there's a you know that we we are following one family that manages to duck into a store and escape but it's like all those other people are wiped out by that tidal wave. It's like Erwin Allen was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Kill all those nameless extras. Right. But that's another point like
3: I was saying before he's, you he, know, he, without showing you everyone dying, right. Right. It shows you the people survive, right. It's shown in a small, like, we know there's a huge tidal wave, but instead of showing you like all these over the top views and people getting washed away and this, like, like, You kinda are like you're you're following the people and they duck into the store and everything goes by on the outside. Right? Like when they're showing like the things happening, they show the news and they show this and that it's it's just done like not it's not just like here, here it is, look at it. It's like it's done like I don't know, like I'm trying to think how to say this.
2: I think he's he's showing you less and letting you fill in a lot of it.
3: Right. Which is it's yeah, doing but, what Cloverfield wanted to do, but didn't.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a particularly huge fan of Cloverfield. so I'm, I'm on board with you there. I think the, in, in this particular scene, this was the first one that really got a lot of people irritated. A lot of, um, how do I want to say this? A certain segment of Daikaiju fans really irritated with this because right as Godzilla and the Muto are going to get it on, we don't see it. It, <laughs> right. it cuts away. And the only bit we get to see is that Sam, little Sam Brody is watching TV. He's, he's falling asleep on the couch and the TV's on. Now I like, I got turned the TV off, Sam. And uh, look, mommy dinosaurs. And we see a little bit of them fighting there, you right. know, but it, well, again, much, it's again, it, it, it's, but you know, not, it, it falls into, it's like, again, would it have been cool to see that? Yes. But it's at, you know, I, it, it's, it's, It, it's, you know, it, as a, as a monster fan, you want to see the monsters fight, but at the same time, it's like, again, we're going to get to see the, a big clash of the, the Muto and Godzilla here. It's, it's, it's teasing you a little bit. It's getting you to anticipate it a little bit. And it's, again, it's letting you fill it in because, you know, I mean, I, I hate to say this because it's, it's, it sounds awful, but you know, when a lot of, a lot of times when bad things happen, we're not seeing it live we're seeing yeah. it after the fact. I mean, you know, when when there's a um, you know it, it's the it's not like, you know, the an earthquake during the World Series where we're all watching the World Series and there happens to be an earthquake. No, it happened and then we see it on the news later usually for sure. for a disaster of that level, you know. And so again, it's 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 taking it and it, and it's and it's almost as if Edwards is and and Bornstein are, are saying is like, look, you know, to to they don't care whether we're seeing whether we Earth, you know, whether we humans see it or not. Their conflict doesn't have anything to do with us. Their conflict is their own thing, and we're just secondary to it. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know if, that, if I'm explaining that the way that I that I'm thinking it in my head, but you know, I, I can understand the fans' frustration that we don't get to see them really get it on. But at the same time, I I kind of dig it because it's like, yeah. You know, if it's like okay, you want to see them fight. Well, I'm sorry, you don't get to see them fight. We're going to talk about our human characters now. Yeah. You know, right? And that's and I and, and that's you know again that that's the driver. Despite what you know uh, uh, people on Facebook say, I I Luke Giaconetti, do not want a film that is all monsters with no humans for two hours. I don't. I, I'm not interested in seeing that. I, I love all the monsters. I do. They are they are. They are the reason for that the fandom exists. I don't want a movie of just two hours of that though. I need some type of, of human story and some type of meaning. You know, if I it, it's like even a a, a 23, 24 minute episode of Ultraman is not just monsters fighting. Yeah. And that's twenty three minutes. You know? Right. I, I can't I, imagine that for two hours. <laughs> yeah. I
3: think I think part of the problem though too is the mudos are on screen total for about eleven minutes the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And then people kind of felt gypped. And I was like, but you got a better story than, you know, you're being told this whole other story. It's setting it all up. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I know we're not talking about King of the Monsters right now, but let's be honest. King of the Monsters, they're on the screen the whole time.
1: There's like a there's lot monster monsters, a season. lot of
3: monsters in that movie. Yeah. Right. But that's the whole point like isn't that the point of that is to kind of establish like we're we're establishing who Godzilla is we're establishing all this stuff because okay you can't just assume everyone has watched every single Godzilla movie up to this point right and that they know which ones are now canon and which ones are not canon but which ones are semi canon you can't expect people to know that stuff you can't because the problem is when you do that uh you know you you then you then um, you expect it You then push away a good, a bigger chunk of the audience. So okay, so you know, you know, uh, I don't want to use a wrestling terminology, but you know when you have someone who's smart, right, and yeah. the smart person is saying no, this needs to happen and this and this and this, and they get mad and they make a lot of noise, but then everybody who looks at it as just like like it's like the circuits is coming to town, we're gonna go. Well, if you're talking about twenty thousand people and a hundred of them are mad and they're going to make noise. But the other 19,900 people are happy. If you, if you cater to the 100, you have 19,900 who don't know what the hell is going on. Right. They're like, I I don't get this. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like the movie needed to be smart. It needed to, it needed to establish something. I think we have seen certain monster verses, not this monster verse, but like certain other universes that universally failed probably the (laughs) nicest way to say uh because they didn't make the movie they should have made in the first place right and i'm not saying that the whole it universally is done but it just has certain movies have to be made a certain way to set things up and then you can put the other movies in but when you don't do that all right you you, you get what you have man you get you know we already know what that looks like they you there's a certain series of movies that have been rebooted three or four times. That someone did a really good job in the '90s of making it, but they said, "No, no, no, we want to reestablish them," and now they don't.
2: You know, you know, I'll, I'll speak should... even, I'll speak even more plainly. You know what's funny is that, no, a couple, of, a couple of, like a couple of months ago, my yeah. wife and I we had gotten from Netflix Terminator Dark Fate, and the once one I, I received it. Well, yeah. well, I, I won't spoil anything, but once I received no. it, I realized we had never watched Genesis. Yeah. So we and then Genesis was on our on demand. So we watched Genesis yeah. and then Dark Fate has and and I'm not aware of really any other film series that were rebooted twice in a row. In yes. two two back-to-back movies rebooting of yes. a, a, a series. But that's again, and that, that is it. Yeah. But so the
3: first part is that Terminator is outstanding. We I just watched Terminator 2 with Haley. She'd never seen it. She goes, yeah. whoa, that's crazy. Oh. I go, that's real. And we're talking about the real stunts. She goes, that's real? I go, yes. I said, yeah. you know, I said, when they when they drive the Mack truck, I mean, I know it's being pulled, but it's still a Mack truck coming off the thing and
2: whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. Down in the it's in the uh, culvert, it, yeah.
3: Yeah. In the, in the and and, and there's, there's guys on a
2: motorcycle. There's really someone on a motorcycle. There's really stuff
3: happening, right? You have Terminator and Terminator 2. If they had stopped, you could have been fine with that, Right. right? But they kept going. And Terminator 3, you're like, okay. And it just started kind of getting less and less and less. And now they got to reboot it. And now you had, I mean, think about it. Predator, one of the best movies of all time. Predator 2, really dang good. You should have stopped, right? right? Don't keep going. And then they made Predators, which is not horrible, but it's not really that great. I mean, Danny Trejo's in it because he's playing Danny Trejo. Even though they, they had a role in it that says, a Danny Trejo type. Trejo, type. Yeah. So <laughs> Trejo called them and said, I look like Danny Trejo. Can I be in it? And they hired
2: him. But they <laughs> I'm sorry sure. that I'll tangent I, off your tangent. That just makes me think of Gabriel Iglesias talking about when he was in Magic Mike and the role was written for him, but they made him go in and read for it. And so he's in a yeah. room with all these guys that look just like him. It's like, no, I, I look more like me than you. You don't look like me. I look like me. <laughs> right. So. I'm saying is, like, so they then they have to, like,
3: kind of... Redo, and now Disney is redoing Predator. They're rebooting Predator. Disney is rebooting Predator. Disney is rebooting Predator. Right? That but that's ridiculous. what I'm saying is, why does that have to happen? I get it that you want to make things new and whatever. But if you're going to do that, you know, with, with the Terminator series, you're going to do that with, uh, you know, now with, um, you know, the Predators are getting done like that. Even the new one, the, the, the Predator, the yeah. one that, like, whatever... Uh, the one with Ice Cube, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I wish it was that. It would be good <laughs> lord. So today was a good day. Uh, you know, kind of um, It's wicked. Uh, I, you know, the thing is, like when you start looking at these things, you're like, whoa, don't, don't keep doing this. Don't keep doing this. And people will say, well, you know, they tried tried to reboot Godzilla in '98. No, it was a U.S. version. It didn't do well. We get it. There's nothing except for in Final Wars where Zilla shows up. Right? I mean, does, yeah. is that where I mean, okay, the animated series, which was actually more successful than the yes. movie.
2: I mean, it um, pretty good, yeah.
3: Right. What I'm saying is, they didn't try and force that down our throat again. And they mm-hmm. certainly didn't, two years later, reboot it again. Yeah. They waited until, no, could you imagine in 2000 trying to do it again? People yeah. would hate Godzilla. So right. they waited, you know, they waited 16 years. Yeah. Right? Basically, as long as the, the nuclear reactor thing was going on, right?
2: Well, yeah, it, yeah. And and the the genesis of this film is a strange and convoluted one. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, I'm just saying. I, I, yeah. but it
3: wasn't it wasn't just like let's just make another one, make another one. It didn't work like that. Instead right. of doing something dumb and like in, in screwing up all of this, they gave us a movie that's much more, I think, intellectual. There's much more. It's shot better. It's it's got decisions made. It's made it makes choices, and you know what. Not every movie is going to be everyone's favorite, and if you make a movie that pisses people off because they're like, "Wow, like not 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 bad, not not yeah. like Battlefield Earth bad," because good God, right? But if you make a movie right. that makes people get angry because they're like, "Well, I want more monster fights, I want this, but like, and it, it makes you care about it." I don't know. This movie made yep. a lot of money. Just saying.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> well the, the only place you don't want to be is in the middle, right? That's the worst yeah, place right, to
3: be. Right controversy creates cash you want people yeah. to talk about you yeah. so
2: um, I,
3: yeah,
2: yeah we got we gotta, no, gotta in this scene also we see our first full reveal of Godzilla Jeez. and uh, I I for one I'm a big fan of the legendary Godzilla I know some people are like you know he's got the uh, the big thighs going on and the small feet but uh, and he does have small feet the reason why he has small feet is that the reason why Godzilla always had big feet is because people had to walk in the suit. And, uh, if you don't have to walk in the suit, you can make the feet smaller. So I, I really like this one. I have the, uh, I have a vinyl of this and I have the NECA figure of Godzilla 2014. I'm a, I'm a big fan of this design. I think this design would be improved upon in King of the Monsters, but I really do like this original version of him. It definitely evokes Godzilla to me more than Zilla did in 98. I don't have any real problems with Zilla as a monster. But Legendary Godzilla, to me, looks more like, you know, if you tell me American Godzilla, this is more what I'm thinking. It's an American creation, clearly, but he looks and reminds me a lot of the uh, the traditional Godzilla.
3: Can I just throw one thing out about the difference between, if you look at Zilla, and you look at, you know, now this Godzilla, Zilla looks skinny. He's yes. got a big head, and he's skinny. And he kind of runs through the city and stuff. It just... I don't know. It seems weird. Like, I mean, I saw that movie in the movie theaters with you. I mean, I'm saying like, I didn't like, I mean, we went and saw it in the theaters and stuff. It just came across as weird. Is that probably the best way to describe it? I I mean, maybe
2: it was, he was, he was such a departure.
1: Yeah.
3: It wasn't anything like Godzilla. And I get it. People have kind of said that this Godzilla is fat and they fat shamed it and did all this stuff. And I'm like, ugh, right. It's just different. Yeah. Okay. If he had skinny legs, and he's supposed to be, what, 350 feet tall, so he's 500 yeah. feet, his leg would snap. Yeah. He's got to have meat on the bone, like, guys. You know, he's got to be a big, thick dude. Everybody you
2: know? knows this. You cannot skip leg day. You
4: cannot. Yeah,
3: well, <laughs> I, mean, just, I I used to skip arm day just to do an extra leg day. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I look good in shorts, that's what I'm saying. That's, um, but, I look good in shorts. Them thick thighs, though, you know? <laughs> it's okay. Um, but I'm saying it's like, people kind of, did whatever, but, but it's got to be, okay, so, before we talk about grounding things more in reality, the more grounded in reality the movie is, the more you can accept the craziness that's happening is, it probably, okay, is there a giant dinosaur walking around anywhere? No. But, like, if you're going to buy it, sure. I mean, like, you have to ground it in reality. If he came out and he had skinny little legs and whatever, like, he's got to be in proportion. You yeah. guys, he's, he's big. He's massive. He's he's an apex predator. Right? He's the top yeah. of the food chain. He needs to look like the top of the food chain. He can't be yeah. some skinny dude. like, what up? You know, it don't well, work. You know, he's, you know?
2: It's, it's that one we hear sometimes about, you know, there's, there's like, bodybuilder muscle and then mm-hmm. there's like, you know, like strong, muscle. like strong man muscle. This is strong man muscle. He, he, he's got some thick, he's got a layer of scaly insulation on there, but there's a lot of muscle mass on, so, on big G here.
3: Okay. So this, this, this reference might go over a lot of people's heads, but the reality is in life, if you look like Ronnie Coleman, the Mr. Olympia, whatever kind of thing, I mean, mm-hmm. you look amazing, right? I mean, Ronnie Coleman, you know, he's got muscles on muscles on muscles, right? Or do you want to be Magnus Ver Magnuson Yeah, where you are the strongest human being alive at the yeah. time, right? Not now he's a little older, right? I'm saying yeah. at the height of their things, do you want to be the, the guy who's completely ripped out of his mind who again, pushes around a lot of weight in a weight room? Or do you want to be the guy who can go carry a 300 pound uh, jug of water and shot above his head, into five feet of water, and throw it somewhere. <laughs> I want that guy. Like, I want to be the guy who could tear the door off everything, not the guy who's like, oh, I can't get through, and we turn sideways. And I'm not knocking Ronnie Coleman. No, and I'm I not mean, that, yeah, that, that, that's, that's,
2: a, that's, that's that is stupid. An, yeah, yeah. That's Yeah, That's a dumb. in its own way, you know, but, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was only a matter of time. I thought it was only a matter of time having you on the show before Magnus for Magnuson. <laughs> Got name checked as as I mean Ooh. probably biggest Magnuson Vark Magnus Ver Magnus, Magnuson Magnus, Mark in the north in North America at one time okay. is my brother. So I'm uh, not surprised by that one at all. So if you had if you had um, February twenty twenty one, you win. Okay? look for email. But uh, so okay, so Sarazawa deduces that Godzilla was only listening in as Zamuta was communicating with something else. Prompting the military to investigate the other spore that they found back in the prologue, which is stored at the Yucca Mountain Nuclear Waste Repository in Nevada. I mentioned earlier that I have worked engineering on nuclear power plants and nuclear projects. If you know, if you are attached to the nuclear industry in any capacity in the United States, you know, Yucca mountain. And I get popped every time Yucca mountain pops up. If they had gone to Savannah river site, it would have been even better, but they don't, they go to Yucca (laughs) mountain on the other side. Um, Well, you gotta be closer to Cali. You can't be that far away. It's like, he's going to walk across the entire country, man. It's like Godzilla stomping through Iowa. It's like, Oh now my corn. And, I'm not sure why the guy in Iowa sounds that way. Apologies to any Iowans who, who listen to the show. Yeah. Um, however, a second, bigger, wingless muto has already emerged and attacks Las Vegas. The scientists deduce that it is a female and was what the male was communicating with, their signals being a mating call. This is um, the other Marvel Comics reference. You'll recall there was an issue of Marvel Comics Godzilla that took place entirely in and around Las Vegas and featured Godzilla destroying Hoover Dam and flooding out Las Vegas. So to me, that this is not a reference, but just a way that my mind sometimes makes connections. So I immediately thought of that issue of Marvel Godzilla, which was a very good done-in-one issue um, where uh, it was it was like uh, the Alan Parsons Project meets Godzilla. Uh, in you know? that one. But seeing the moot the the female Muto tear her way through we see it in news footage and stuff and surveillance footage of her tearing through the Vegas strip. Very cool. I really dig that. We've not seen uh Vegas really get leveled by a giant monster in a big budget movie like that before. So I thought that was pretty neat.
3: Right. I'm saying but isn't that the cool way to show it though too? Like yeah. it doesn't for getting there and tearing it all apart and whatever. Like it's being shown to you in news clips being shown to you. It's kinda like um in a Giallo movie, when there's something in the background that literally tells you who the killer is three minutes into the movie and you don't yeah. get it until the, like we're giving you stuff. Like we're not just show, we could show you everything, but like, we're going to kind of show it to you through news clips and through the media, right. through whatever. It makes it interesting. It's something different. It's
2: different. And, and, and again, that's how we consume stuff like that now yeah. in 2014. Right. I mean, again, pick any disaster that you want. And, and th- this, I mean, th- th- this is part of a larger discussion about our consumption of media and, you know, uh, to yeah. air, shout out to Bob Hanson, news entertainment, uh, the, the reality that we live with now. But we consume it in, in clips on, on you know, YouTube clips or, you know, 90 uh, second reports on the nightly news or, uh, you know, talking heads, talking over it with a cryon on the bottom on, on our ca- whatever cable news network we watch. Great this part. is how we consume this stuff now. You know, okay and, and, so and the about- imagery of that to me is is indicative of how that that stuff is now um, taken and chopped up and reformatted and edited and put together for a news bite.
3: All right. So think about this. You and I are watching a basketball game one time and they cut in for breaking news about a white Bronco.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
3: uh-huh. And we're like, well, we're gonna show you. And they kept the Bronco on the screen while they showed the basketball game, right. the NBA Finals we're talking about, folks. Right? Yeah. And what the crazy part was was like that was like the first time I can remember, like that be that happening. Where like we had a, this was breaking news that had to occur <laughs> during what ha- like like we weren't in California, we weren't chasing you know the white Bronco kind of thing, but we felt like we were there. I have vivid memories of it. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and not to, not to, again, and and I, I, not to say that I'm making fun of anything, but, and this, this is even more pointing it to you and I, especially, but you neither you nor I was in New York city on September 11th. Right. Right. You know, but I watched a city crumbling, you know, I watched a bill. I watched people die on TV. I I I mean, mean, to the point where I just had to turn it off. I just couldn't watch it anymore, but it's like, I wasn't there. Like there were people who were there who lived there. There were people who lived there who survived, thank God, and people who unfortunately died. Right? It wasn't. But that's. I don't know. I. I, and I, and right, I, I know
2: you're 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 right on the right on the money because that that's you know that, I mean, that that's, that's exactly what I'm you know what what I think of yeah. with this is that that is how, as a nation, the yes. vast majority of this nation, don't live in in Lower Manhattan. Right, and right, right. we're not there, but we all know it. We all experienced yeah. it and consumed it because yeah. as horrific as that was, it was immediately turned into something to consume. Yeah. And, and that is how we as essentially as a generation have, have mm-hmm. come to consume the, the awful things happening in the world around us. And it's, Again, th- this that is a larger discussion than talking about Godzilla twenty fourteen. But it's, I right. think Edwards is tapping into that in, mm-hmm. in choosing to show it to us this way, and choosing that even you know little Sam is exposed to it because yes. um, he's watching it and it's on the news, and so it's like no that that's it's you know on over on the vault in a much different context. I often talk about the unblinking eye of cinema verite, right. and. That, that's not, this is not cinema verite, but it is the unblinking eye. It is the, you know, uh, if we take those stations down, the people are going to change the channel. It's how we consume disaster, whether that disaster is natural or man-made. That is how disaster is consumed especially here in the West. I don't know. I I mean, I, from what I understand, it's very similar in many parts of Asia, but not necessarily in all the world, but here in the West, that is how that is consumed. And so for a Western film to, you know, uh, to, to show us that, especially when it's already given us the context of this is not, you know, uh, Godzilla and Megalon and Jet Jaguar and Gigan fighting in a field somewhere. That this is this is having direct impacts on hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people. In fact, um, uh, Stents even says that he goes. There's hundreds of millions of people's lives at risk here. He says okay. at one point, and so you know, so it's you know it, it's almost as if it's like oh you want to see that so you want to see disaster and carnage, or do you not? But you still want to see it, even though we understand that it's it's fictional, it's make believe. So it's you know it again I. I, I don't want to presume that I understand exactly what Gareth Edwards is shooting for here, but that was kind of the feelings that it evoked in, in me watching it is that this, you know, th- this is how disaster is, you know, again, marketed and consumed in, in 2014. And it's the same now here in 2021, hard to believe this movie seven years old as an aside. Yeah. It does. Something doesn't feel seven years old, but of course, you know, last year that, that year felt like 365 <laughs> days. Am I right? You know, yeah. so, yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, so yeah, so that it's I
4: got,
2: yeah, hang I, I, it, it's this. it's heady stuff, you know.
3: Yeah, let me just put this out there. So Gareth Edwards um, is either born June first, nineteen seventy-five, or July thirteenth, nineteen seventy-five. There's two different uh, Wikipedia and IMDb don't agree on when, it, but it was nineteen seventy-five. So he's only three years older than me, right? right? And I was in college when nine eleven happened. I was in grad school when nine eleven happened. You were in college, yes, right? just finishing up college, right? Kind of thing right around the same yeah. time. Right? Yep. Or you were just, maybe you were working. You, we, we were, no, we no, were I, not-
2: was, I was, I was still in college. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It was 2001. Yeah. So, right. right. So it, he was just out of college, right? It's so, so he's still a young man when this is happening. So it's not like this is somebody who grew up during the Vietnam war and had that broadcast into your house every night where you were watching this and watching that and all this stuff, whatever, I right, kind of thing, right? He grew up in the '80s, and again, I know he's Welsh. He's not, you know, he's not from America. But like, he grew up in the '80s. He grew up through, you know, the idea of like, um, you know, what the like the Cold War and the, the the Berlin Wall falling and all the things that have gone into shaping our generation, right? He's part of our generation, right? He's not he's not somebody who's making a movie, you know, who lived through. Stuff like I didn't live through Vietnam. You didn't live through Vietnam. Like we weren't alive for that stuff, right? right. And our wars, the, the not our wars, but the wars we we remember the Persian Gulf War, you know, things like that. But I remember the Berlin Wall coming down. I remember those things, and I remember the Challenger exploding. I remember all the horrific things and all the the, the triumphs and and all the tragedies and what how did we get it? We consumed it through television. Right. He's doing that here by doing that here. It actually. It makes it. I don't. I don't want to say less horrific, but it's kind of. I don't know. I don't want to say
2: like known, but it's kind of like more accepted. I think it's more yeah. understood. We understand that okay. that, yeah, that, that yeah, type of yeah, yeah. So
4: Sorry, I, I mean,
2: like I said, I, I'm on board with it as far as a, a you know whatever message may or may not be contained in that. And I've seen different, different readings of it as a filmmaking technique. I'm, I'm, I'm totally down with it because it is, it is frustrating me as a viewer, but it's, it's, it's challenging me also,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: you know? All right. So, okay. So over the scientists objections, stents approves a plan to use a nuclear warhead to lure all three monsters out to the open ocean and destroy them. Returning to the U.S., Ford joins the team, delivering the Warheads by train. But the female Muto intercepts them and devours most of the Warheads. Uh, This is a uh, getting back to, like I was saying, the horror aspect of this. uh, This is also the infamous scenes that are on certain pressings of the DVD and Blu-ray. Damn near impossible to see because they are so dark. Um, You might have to adjust the brightness on your set. Uh, I try to do that when I watch primetime television. It doesn't work. But, um, it doesn't make it smarter. But uh, yeah, but this again, but this scene of them transporting the warheads by train and uh, you know Ford being EOD comes back to uh, to be useful. So he can get in with the group that's transporting the bombs. Uh, but again, the Muto once again striking a horror aspect as she uh, you know stalks them in the in the dark and um, Ford and the sergeant are trying to stay quiet there in the track, you know, and the radio keeps squawking on the sergeant's arm and stuff. So I, I do like this from getting a, you know, a, a actual type of horror sequence in a, in a giant monster film, which you don't always get.
3: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's, and, and the, the scene where the train is coming down, I mean, you know, as someone who's not good with heights, yeah. uh, <laughs> the, you know, the, and that high up in the air, first of all, then having to like leave, that area quickly, uh, not not so good with that. So. Yeah, yeah.
2: The remaining oh. warhead is airlifted with Ford, who survives that, and he's covered in crap. He looks like Schwarzenegger from the end of Predator. You know, he's got so exactly. much gunk on him and stuff. Yeah. I'm here, come on! But uh, we need Doctor. That one, yeah. But uh, the remaining warhead is airlifted with Ford to San Francisco, where the monsters are converging. And activated after Godzilla appears at the Golden Gate Bridge, only for the male Muto to snatch it and take it to the female, who forms a nest around it in the Chinatown area. Um, couple of things here: when the Muto uses its EMP and uh, all the jets start falling from the sky, that's uh, mm-hmm. that's another one. That's like you know, uh, it you you really you kind of have to. Um, You know, we're all that that's one that that I've heard bandied about that, you know, uh, at some point we're going to get attacked by one of our enemies with a massive EMP. It's going to knock all of our systems offline and take our jets out of the air and all that. Anytime you have jets falling out of the sky, that that creeps me out a bit. And this film definitely does it with all the fighter jets. I think they're. uh, or the F-22 Raptors, I think are all falling out of the sky, crashing into the, uh, into the Pacific and into, into the Bay and uh, and, uh, into the San Francisco Bay. That's, uh, that's pretty horrific to me.
3: You're again, we're talking about like, uh, the number of deaths that occur in this movie, right? You kind of don't even get the idea of how many people are dying because it's like, you know, Hey, all those people on the street are dead now, you know, all yeah. this like, you know, things are falling out of the sky. Like th- this city's being crushed. Like it just, you don't even get you don't even get a sense of the the deaths because they're not like they're not displaying them for you. It's not glorifying all the death and killing. It's just kind of like, okay, this is what's happening because your city is getting destroyed. You destroy a city, you're going to kill people.
2: You, you want to no. know what's something that's interesting that I was just thinking about? I talked about the circuitous path of this film into into uh, existence. Uh, executive producer credit was given to Yoshimitsu Bano. And the last time that you and I talked on our destruction directive, we watched Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, that yeah. was directed by Yoshimitsu Bano. So there is now Bano's involvement with the film dates back to when this actually started out as a IMAX short film, which was called yes. Godzilla 3D to the Max, and Bano was the producer of that. And it thing, one thing led to another, end up turning into a feature, and um, and Bano was was not really creatively involved. But I do think it's it's funny that, uh, you know, Smog Monster didn't shy away from telling us the real, you know, the damages, the consequences of Godzilla and Hedra's appearances. And whereas this one doesn't come out right and say this many people died and this many people were injured and this many people suffered, you know, chemical burns. But it's also not shy about showing the consequences of it as well. Yep. I think it's, it's an interesting coincidence. The other one that's... Um, I, I guess of a theme is when, uh, the MUTOs make landfall in San Francisco, L, uh, puts Sam on the bus to yes. uh, go to the shelter. So once again, we have a family being separated and uh-huh. then she goes into the shelter in the, uh, the, uh, the BART station, the Bay area rapid transit, which uh, those of us on the West coast mostly know from the old earthquake ride at universal studios, Orlando, uh, <laughs> Which yeah. is not, unfortunately, not there anymore. It is now yeah. your favorite franchise, the Fast and the Furious. But um, <laughs> oddly enough, they kept it. I themed like the those movies. It's just not I, the same. I know, I know. Oddly enough, they kept it themed as San Francisco, which is like the one city where there's no no Fa- Fast and the Furious film is set in. There's none of them set in San Francisco.
3: I'm trying you to know. think. Do anything happen there?
2: No. no. it's, it's No, they're all they when they're in California, they're in Los Angeles. I mean, they're all over the world, but they're in L.A. That's where, you know, that's Toretto's stomping grounds in California. Uh, But but in any event, um, so another another, you know, kind of scene that frustrated some viewers, you know, she is being pushed into the shelter and we see the MUTO and then the doors close and we don't see it anymore. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you want to see it, do you? Huh? Yeah, have to be a little bit quicker. It's like the old man with the, the fishing line with the dollar bill on it. Oh, you'll yeah, be quicker than that. Hey, be quicker than that. <laughs> uh, and this thematically reminded me of, uh, who is it, Dr. Gottlieb that ends up in the shelter in Pacific Rim? Yes. You know? And yes. it's like, oh, well, we'll go, to, we'll go to shelters. That's why we're all in one spot for the monster to kill us. That seems like a good idea.
3: <laughs> yeah, but Ron Perlman doesn't show up in this movie, so I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> Where the hell is my shoe? <laughs>
1: that's why that,
3: that's why if, uh, if Grandma Leturo gets what he wants and he crosses over King Kong, Godzilla and uh, Pacific Rim yeah. there has got to be Ron Perlman in it I'm just oh, saying, yeah. Ron Perlman's gotta be in it
2: <laughs> hey, ass. monkey boy. Come here! <laughs> a big monkey, right there. But uh, <laughs> I know my Ron Perlman sounds a little bit like Gary Busey, but that—that's yeah. more—that's my cross to bear. But uh, the <laughs> the other bit here, the the male Muto dives into the water, and again, this is probably just me, but yeah. um, that's like Rodan, right? When Rodan yes. dives into the water, the yes. big flying monster is like, oh, by the way, I'm amphibious. Hope that's okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Look what I can do! Yeah. Thanks, Stuart. You yeah. know. <laughs>
2: Um, So the um, so the right here, after right around this part, we get the uh, the most famous line from this film. Uh, Doctor Sarazawa, they still want to do this plan where they're going to send in, uh, you know, a, a team to retrieve the warhead from the Muto's nest, and then they're going to go and detonate it. And Sarazawa is still not in favor of this, and uh, and he says the arrogance of man is thinking nature is in our control and not the other way around. Let them fight. It's like, has there ever been something to encapsulate the daikaiju genre more than those three words? Let right. them fight. Because in, in very rare instance, do humans ever really make much of an impact? Right. And, and here they don't really make much of an impact. It's, you know, this is pretty much, we are, we're bystanders to this. So let them fight and resolve their own issues.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, isn't that, that, that line had it like that line. It wasn't a cheering line, but it was a lot of fist pumping going on in the audience. When, when Dr. Yeah. says that one.
3: Well, but it's in the trailer. It's been, it's become, it's now become bigger than this movie. Yeah.
2: Like, you
3: know, it, like they even use it. They use it everywhere. They use it in football. They use it in like, you name it. anywhere. it's like, let them fight. Like, okay, we get it. Like, it's, it's become bigger than, than the, the scene in the film. Right. Which I don't think at the time they thought, like, oh, we're going to, this is it. Everyone be quiet. He's going to say the <laughs> like, you
1: know, He's going to do the thing. He's going to do the
2: thing. Yeah. Just it, it's, almost, it's almost a shame. I mean, now, in Godzilla vs. Kong, the tagline on the posters is, one will fall which I, I also really like that. But if you imagine that poster just said, let them fight after yeah. all the delays that that movie suffered and all that, like, oh my God, they're just going to be fighting for two and a
3: half hours. I think we all know it's not going to happen, but okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they're going to fight for two and a half hours and it's going to be in broad daylight the entire time. That makes it the best monster movie ever. Yeah. <laughs> I, had I, I, I had a conversation the other day about Pacific Rim Uprising. And it said, oh, all the said the fights in that movie, the fights in that movie happen in broad daylight. By definition, shouldn't the Facebook people may think that's the best giant monster movie ever, since that's the only oh, okay. criterion they measure movies by?
4: Hang
2: on, let's back
3: it up even to even not even that in the first term, the Power Rangers movie, not yeah. not the the new one, right? Yeah. Which I we like. Oh yeah, those so. fights happen in broad daylight on the streets. Yeah, and people are like, they suck. No, no. You got exactly what you wanted. It yeah. all happened in front of you.
4: Yeah.
2: Right here. Now, as That's an right. aside, when I saw that movie in the theater, when they're driving the Megazord down the street, yeah. they, they destroy a yellow yes. Mustang, and Jason says, sorry, Bumblebee.
4: Pretty sure you mean yellow Camaro, you fool.
2: I don't think that line is on my, 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 uh, my, uh, my Blu-ray of that movie. I, I think, think they so- cut that line. I think they might have. It's the greatest (laughs) line ever because we're all thinking it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Bumblebee. (laughs) Uh, Okay,
3: Okay. perfect example. Hang on, hang on. Have you seen Bumblebee? The actual, the actual movie, right? All those fights happen. Like a lot of those fights, like things happen in broad daylight, and the stuff at night. You know, when they're fighting at the very end of it, there kind of thing. It happened, but they show you a lot of that stuff, and people are like, "Well, I don't know." Kind of like, I wish it was better. Like, what do you want? Like, well, no, that you one's... Like, oh, well, you want
4: that want fight like,
2: well, the whole, yeah, The whole movie should have been, like, the first, be- the beginning when they were on Cybertron. That's what I really want, yes, because Transformers series with no humans in it, again, are always super successful. Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I had to get there
3: somehow, and, like, I may not be the biggest uh, Haley Steinfeld, uh, you know, Seinfeld
2: fan, but she was fine, Whatever was, you know, was, kind of thing. It was good the movie no, was no. good. No, no, no. She, yeah, she, she Very was good. She, I like the role she played in that too. Yeah. yeah, I'm
3: saying I'm not. It's not like I'm a, like, oh my god, she's in this movie. I love her. But it's like they were. It was fine, and they put it in broad daylight. Yeah. So stop complaining. It's there.
2: See, I'm personally just waiting for my God, my G.I. Joe movie that's actually all about the political machinations and intrigue of Cobra Law. That's really <laughs> what I'm waiting for. You can call it. <laughs> G.I. Joe Galabi's oh Rise or something? Then Diesel as Nemesis Enforcer? It'd be like printing money.
1: The G. Actually, G. I. Vin Joe
2: Diesel would make a really good Nemesis Enforcer, all things considered. You know, just
1: I'm
3: <laughs> saying G.I. Joe movie, where it's not about the G.I. things happening, it's about the political and it's like infrastructure of Cobra and yeah. like how they set this up and how they're going to do world domination by taking over financial things. And it's just all procedural. <laughs> this is the worst thing ever. But like I don't know what you wanted.
2: You yeah. didn't like when we did this. You didn't <laughs> like when we did. This. this is the only thing we got left. Buddy. That's like there is <laughs> a there is a <laughs> Warner there is a apparently in pre-production there is a Wiley e. Coyote movie called Coyote v Acme. I'm like, <laughs> is it a legal drama? Is he He'll finally drop. suing Acme? You know? <laughs> He's got Eric Rockovich representing them. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> oh, God. He's got Foghorn and Leghorn wearing a cowboy hat. Now, Your Honor, I say, now I say, my client, Mr. Coyote, I'm
3: the a... <laughs> The two Utes. The two what? The two Utes. <laughs>
2: oh, excuse me. The two Utes. <laughs> hey. Oh, God. Anyway, <laughs> oh. Uh, you know, Joe Pesci, not in Godzilla 2014. Oh, no, he's not. Oh, no, let's get back. Uh, you know, when, uh, so, while Godzilla and the MUTO's battle, Ford and a strike team enter the city via Halo Jump to find and disarm the warhead before it detonates. All right. Uh, unable to access a timer, the team gets a warhead on a boat. For Disposal at Sea, while Ford destroys the nest. A lot to unpack there. So we finally get Godzilla and the MUTOs. And I'm not going to lie, I like this fight. I think it's really well choreographed, considering that it's all... I mean, there, there's it's done with mocap and stuff. It's not yeah. done with suit suitmation. But mm-hmm. I really like that together, individually, the two MUTOs are not really much of a threat. But together, they work as a team. And they, they can, uh, you know, use the, their, their extra limbs and different angles and stuff to take, actually get Godzilla down. I really do like the way that this, this fight is, uh, is put together and blocked out. And frankly, because we didn't get to see the other stuff, it's really satisfying to me as a viewer to see them finally get it on here in the final reel.
3: So they brought in Andy Serkis. Uh, again, he's not, he's not actually playing anyone in this film. Uh, they brought him in. Um, as a consultant to t- to make sure the motion capture that they were the way they were moving that it would work well uh, for the film, because let's face yeah. it, if, if Andy Serkis doesn't know how to do it, no one does. Yeah, um, it's, uh, consider- it's
2: TJ Storm actually was the mocap artist, right. and uh, He and who who did this, and I want to say, I think he did uh, King of the Mo- Yes, he was Godzilla in King of the Monsters as well.
3: Right, I'm saying, but they but the, when they first were starting to do it, they brought Andy Serkis in to show them how to do things. So that, that their movements, when they, when they, when they lay the, uh, the digital on top of them, that they, the way they made their movements happen, it looked better with the digital. Cause again, the digital can only do so much. If you're laying movement on top of a motion capture, um, it's not like they can say, oh, we'll just tweak this here. And if it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. Like they can tweak the monster and stuff. But if your motions look jerky, the monster looks jerky. Right. So it was a lot of. I mean, say so I mean, Andy Serkis has managed. I mean, his his portrayal of Caesar in the in the uh, the, the the new um, Planet of the Eight movies. Yes. Like you forget that you're watching an animated character. It's like it's a person, right? Literally, it, like like Caesar's a real. I mean, I know it's Andy Serkis, but I'm saying it like as if it's a real actual person. He is so natural. He's so good at it. And so when they brought him in as the consultant at first, he made sure that things looked good. Now when you watch the Mudos move and you watch Godzilla move and stuff like that, again, it's all motion captured and stuff. The, the people who are doing it know what they're doing. And they cut and they, they made sure that their motions weren't jerky
1: Yeah.
3: because you can tell when it's bad. So that's the thing real quick. I know I've, I'm just captain tangent today. No, um, but well the, when you see bad CGI, when something's done poorly, your eye says that's wrong. Right. When you see good CGI, your eye for, your eye knows that it's not real, but you kind of start forgetting that it's not real. Does that make sense? Yes. Right. I I, I mean I mean I think uh, again I know it's Andy Serkis, but like Gollum is the perfect example of that. In Lord of the Rings, you forget when you're watching it that Gollum is not a real person. It's Andy Serkis moving. And they lay digital on top. But it's not an actual person on the yeah. screen. You forget it. Oh, good, I mean, It gets we, good.
2: You know what's very, very telling about Gollum? Go If you look at Gollum's appearances in Fellowship of the Ring, which total about, what would you say, 9 seconds, 10 seconds tops? Because we see him in the shadows, basically. Go, we, we think of Gollum on all of his performances. That's in Two Towers and Return of the King. So Gollum was a CG character in Fellowship and the CG still looks good because he's, we we see him in the gloom of his cave and we see his eyes glowing and we see him in the shadow when he's stalking the Fellowship, but you, would that have been enough of a performance for what we need Gollum to do story-wise, especially in Two Towers, you know? Yeah. It would not have been enough. So it's like it's already got a good, it, it's a good basis as far as the design of the character. But you need that, right? You need that that illusion of life
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, that that you get with the mocap, and and they've done a really good job of it because you know uh, uh, not too long ago you and Dad were talking about Cult of the Cobra, and mm-hmm. you were talking about bad snake CGI, and the uh, you know anaconda, it wasn't bad CGI, it was a bad snake. No, but the physical effects in Anaconda, the physical effects are great.
4: Yes. You know, yeah, the yeah,
2: physical yeah. snake, but then you get the CG snake and it's like, oh my God, the gulf between those oh. two techniques is, I mean, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to watch. I mean, I, I'm not not—I'm not saying that people set out, nobody sets out to do bad work, but it's like the the difference there. It's like the CG was the one that was all over the commercials and everything else, but it's like the physical effects are the, the, the ones that have some type of... You know, illusion of reality here,
3: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just saying, it's just one of those things. As you see, if you see when you see bad CGI, your eye realizes it's bad and it tells you it's fake, and it takes you out of things. Um, when you have good CGI, uh, your eye doesn't even think about it; it just accepts it as real and we're part of a world. But I think the main difference is this, um, and and I know Andy Serkis uh, portrayed King Kong in Peter Jackson's remake. Um, but Godzilla is much bigger than King Kong in that movie. Uh, yeah. And when you're bigger, your motions and actions have to be a certain way so that they look realistic for the size of the creature there. He, if Godzilla's doing like spin kicks and like crazy yeah. martial arts stuff, you'd be like, what? The thing's 500 feet long. How is he doing that? Right? He'll be. It just wouldn't make sense. But he moves and it makes sense the way Godzilla moves. The mutos make sense in how they move. They're you know they're walking on their knuckles. It's not like they're they shouldn't be able to do you know crazy stuff that they and they don't they don't they yeah. it looks like a real fight. Um, part of that though too is the uh, the idea though too that the mutos themselves are not they're individually they're nothing they're nothing you know they're not I mean they're they're definitely deadly to humans but they're not deadly Godzilla. But if they're able to continue attacking him right. and keep him down, then they have him. Right. Now the scene where they burn the egg, where, where, uh, yes. where he burns the eggs. Holy cow. I was like, "Whoa, I take some guts, dude. Like you were, you were in a, you were in a bad situation. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. This is probably not going to end well for me, but eh, let's do it anyway.
2: <laughs> well, and again, so Ford kills all the eggs yeah. Okay, another family is uh, is suffers right. a, a traumatic loss and uh, yeah. and is torn apart. Uh, this time it's the Mudo. We we feel a bit of sympathy for the Mudo because they you know it's 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 a question that we have a lot. Do the, don't the Mudos have a right to exist also? They are native to this ecosystem. Yeah, they have they've been dormant for a long time, but they have a right to exist. It's just that okay, not all these, spe- these species can't all coexist right now. Right,
4: right, right, right.
2: Um, but yeah, and and so yeah, I agree. Ford destroying that, and it's like, yeah, it's like, and then uh, he he rigs. You know, the, he gets he gets really like knocked. Uh, I'll use your line. He gets knocked ass over tea kettle with that explosion goes off behind him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So I, I I dig that now. Yeah. Then so so the fight continues. the uh, the the the, uh, the the female is chasing after the um, the warhead that the uh, the team has stolen. During the rest of it, we then see the atomic breath, and again this did lead to cheers in the audience when the the spine started lighting up, and we saw <laughs> we knew what was coming. That <laughs> led to cheers out of the audience when when Godzilla finally unleashed the atomic breath and. I wasn't sure what it was going to look like, you know, it's looked, the, the, the atomic breath has looked so many different ways over the years, but I do like this one. It, it almost, it, 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 it's, it's a bit more like a focused beam. It's not the big, massive explosive beam. Like I think of like the Heisei era, um, you (laughs) know, optical effect beam, but, uh, but it, it definitely looks impactful and it looks like it hurts when, when the Mudo get hit with it.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's you know the same thing happened. We were in the theater too. People were just so excited to see it. Even waiting the whole time, you waiting the whole movie for this. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's one of the things with Godzilla is that like that's what he's known for. You know, he breathes. He he breathes fire, quote unquote, right. right? You know, kind of thing. Like and and, I mean, I think you and I discussed that when we were. I was watching Fifty Four. I was like, did they purposely mean mean to have his breath be? You know, because like, remember he's breathing on everything and it's kind of melting everything. Was it supposed to be radiation at first or whatever? Yeah. And then it changed. I think this this serves perfectly. And the power up the do-do-do-do-do, it makes that noise as he's revving up, and you're like, oh, this ain't gonna end well, buddy. Yeah. Like you know, kind of thing. Like yeah. uh, it, that's it, a bad sound. We should leave.
2: Yeah. It just got real up in here. You know. <laughs> this is good. We should make this. You know, kind yeah.
3: of <laughs> from, from quick
1: change, yeah. right? You
2: know. The the. Uh, uh, the yeah, the other bit I like, so the, the, the male gets disposed by the tail chop. So we get the other iconic, in my mind, Godzilla attack, besides the atomic breath, is the tail chop, right? And he chops him right into the building and knocks yeah. the building down on himself, which I like, too, is that you can see he's hurting at that point. He's, he's been fighting the two of these. He's had to chase them across the entire Pacific Ocean. He, he got into a, a tussle in Honolulu, these the 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 two enemies have were beating on him and and jumping on him and biting him and crap and then he he has a building fall on him but he's not done he has to keep going so I it's you know my uh, I'm I'm, I'm I'll, I'll 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 edit it a little bit but my friend Joe after he saw this he goes you know all the god all it looks like with Godzilla is like man I'm getting too old for this
4: yeah <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly
2: yeah, yeah. so. Um, Okay, so the, the, our synopsis jumps ahead a bit. It says Godzilla defeats the Mutos and collapses on the shore from exhaustion. So after uh, defeating the, the male, you know, Ford gets, uh, gets on the boat. He, uh, the, the EMP knocks out the boat. He is laid out with the bomb ticking. Uh, but then we see uh, Godzilla and the female get it on. And in, again, the most carthritic scene... In, in, in the film and in quite a, in quite a long time in the Godzilla series, as far as I'm concerned, Godzilla grabs the female and blasts atomic breath straight down her throat. Yep. And it's like, and my note is simply the female eats atomic breath. And, and, uh, you know, and then it's just at that point, you're just so it's like, damn, it's like enough. I have had enough of you, you know, that type of, uh, <laughs> that type of situation,
3: and it, it's just a great scene. And when it happens, you're just like, it's, it is so not what you're expecting to happen there because right. Godzilla, I mean, Godzilla will shoot his beam at people, you know, whatever and they'll, like, they'll fight, you know, even though know I'm saying like back in the day and stuff, even with like, yeah. Stroya and Biollante and all those, right? This is just like, I don't think we've ever seen Godzilla just shove it down someone's throat.
2: No. Like. That's nuts you know kind of thing about about the closest yeah but the closest we get is when orga's trying to eat him yeah slows orga up from the inside but that's still a little bit different than this where this has the level of aggression of like enough already you know <laughs> yeah
3: exactly. I mean, exactly like it's just yeah. like yeah I I've, I stand so I can stance I can't stance no more you know kind yeah. of thing. and he just unloads and the theater when that happens people are like whoa, like it was a shocker. like he even's like holy cow and i'm like i kind of knew it was coming you know because you see him grab it you're like what's he gonna do rip the jaw because you remember kong in 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 uh in the original king kong and obviously the remake he grabs the t-rex's mouth and breaks its jaw and stuff like that you know kind of thing and like you think what's a godzilla gonna do break its jaw like we're gonna rip off kong oh no oh no 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 (laughs) he's gonna shove this down your throat you know think so
2: Yeah. And then, of course, Godzilla collapses, having expended all of his energy, bringing balance and, you know, exterminating the the Mutos. And who hasn't been there after a hard day at work, right? So, (laughs) yeah. Another day in the salt mines. Uh, So, (laughs) uh, Ford gets a boat out to open seas, is rescued uh, by helicopter before the warhead explodes, and uh, reunites with his family at the emergency shelter, which is at... um, I, I uh, oh I'm blanking. It's where the 49ers play, isn't it?
1: Yeah,
3: it's uh, it's not Candlestick. It's Qualcomm Stadium.
2: Qualcomm Stadium. Yeah. When, and what's and if you ever go out to San Francisco, and I, I have been out there several times in the last few years, um, you can uh it's it, it you get some great views of the stadiums as you're driving around on the bridges out there. So it's very cool to see Qualcomm. Uh, and is reunited with his family at emergency shelter the following morning. Godzilla reawakens and returns to sea. While well, the media dub him the king of the monsters and speculate whether he might be a savior, that bit where Godzilla wakes up, mm-hmm. where all the inspectors are kind of looking around and he just he just snorts and everyone, it's just like everyone's like oh no everyone just stops you know <laughs> by that point there hasn't been a lot of comic relief in the movie that amused me tremendously at that point. You know, well,
3: I think, I mean, again, if this movie wasn't as serious as it was, you would have someone go, oh, no, and just run away. Yeah. Just, 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 throw, the, just throw the paper here and just run. See, see, in the in a Toho, and again, I'm not not making fun of Toho, but you know, as well as I do, there'd have been the guy who goes, oh, no, and he would have ran away. Like someone that, would have that, been. Yeah, running there, away.
2: there would have there would have been a comic relief character who would have yes. really lost lost it right there. You yeah. Know. Would have run away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And he, and knowing Toe, it probably would have been a chubby guy.
3: Yes. Oh, it's always a chubby guy. Yeah,
4: I gotta
2: <laughs> think uh, so. And the um, and the, uh, the the news cry on saying Godzilla king of the monsters, very nice. You know, uh, little nod of course to uh, to his title that he has now inherited on both sides of the of the Pacific, which I I, I appreciate. Uh-huh. And, yeah. Uh huh. And you know the idea of that Godzilla might be a savior, and and it's funny is that. You know, I, I, you see a lot of times, not a lot, but I've seen a lot of contemporary pieces on this saying like, well, you know, it's clear that Edwards was inspired by the 60s and 70s heroic Godzilla that doesn't go out of his way to, you know, uh, to, to hurt humans or destroy th- things and he's a hero. And it's like, I can see that to a degree, but, you know, at the same time, this is more to me. Kind of like the the Hayse Gamera films, where you know he's uh, where in those films, Gamera is the guardian, the guardian beast, right? And this is in you now in, in Godzilla's case, it's not from a a higher order calling like it was with Gamera. Here, it's because you know if you threaten the natural order, no, I'm the top of the food chain. I'm the top guy.
4: All right? Oh, yeah. Bill oh, yeah. No, no top, I, I, I'm the
2: top guy. <laughs> That's that's Kong, right? No, brother, I'm the top guy. And Godzilla's like, nah, I'm the top guy. I'll and no, and Parker carry are carrying the bags. That's what that boils down to. But you know, cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I, I mean, again, the, the ending, it's you know, it, it's that that's the end, and it's like, and it's like I, Godzilla's done his bit. He's not gonna hang around, and it ends with what Godzilla walking off into the ocean. Like how many Toho movies end with Godzilla wading out into the sea? Yeah. So I yeah. To me, that that's a, I, I real I dug the ending a lot. It's like you know I don't don't overstay your welcome. I don't I don't need uh, a revelation about about anything. You know, Ford accomplished what he set out to do. He got back and is reunited with his family, and they're all safe. Godzilla set out what he accomplished, what he set out to do. He has killed the Mutos and restored the natural order, and he's done. He's going back to sleep now. Thanks for thanks yeah. for playing. You
3: know, so I, I came across this when I was doing some re- digging for the movie, um, you know, for like, trivia, because that's, you know, my role usually is the trivia guy. Um, and there's some people who compare the story of the two MUTOs and Godzilla to being very similar to uh, Rudyard Kipling's Jungle Book story, Ricky tikki Tavi. Mm. Uh, both the MUTOs and the two Cobras uh, from the story are mated, a mated pair who are trying to find a place to rear their young, with the female being larger and more dangerous. Uh, both uh, pose a threat to nearby humans, especially if they reproduce um, and produce a brood of deadly young. Both are threatened by natural enemies. Obviously, Riki Tiki Tavi is the mongoose, and Godzilla is Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, indirectly, <laughs> an ally of the humans. In both cases, the natural enemies battle uh, the, the male first, managing to kill him. The unhashed eggs are destroyed, inciting the wrath of the female. The female directly threatens the human protagonist, but Rikki-Tiki-Tavi slash Godzilla arrive in time and manage to kill her. And both Rikki-Tiki-Tavi and Godzilla are considered heroes, even though their actions were of, uh, were of no noble intent, but merely the natural instincts to hunt their natural enemy. So I came across that and I was like, I never even, I would never have put those two and two together. That
2: yeah, that really lines up, at least the way <laughs> that it's presented right there.
3: Oh, but think about it. It's like it's like Dark Side of Oz. It's like when you put Dark Side of the Moon on and start watching right. Wizard of Oz, things line up that shouldn't line up, but they do. Sometimes things just happen. I really highly doubt that someone said, you know what, we should make this movie like Rudger Kipling's Ricky Tikki Tavi. I don't yeah. think they did. If they did, kudos to them, because I never would have got that one. But yeah. I thought that would be Sarah. I, I think people might imp- appreciate that. Um, and, you know, uh, obviously we get our, our, our end scene here, right? You know, kind of the movie ends, and then you have the credits and stuff, and then you have, uh, what is, isn't there, there was, isn't there an end scene at the end of this one? Or no. I they the wrong movie.
2: No, you're thinking I of think- Skull Island, I think, which has the. Uh-
3: oh. The yeah, end scene and that no, sets
2: I, of King of the Monsters, yeah.
3: Yes, yeah, thing of Skull Island. Sorry, excuse me. Yeah. So sorry. sorry folks, I had the wrong movie. I've watched a lot of movies and I'm really old and that's what happens. <laughs> uh, so they just start blending. Um but yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is with you know, he walks away and, and you're like, Oh I mean at least no one said, Thank you, Godzilla you know, kind of thing, like <laughs> little boy the, on the shore waving at him.
2: Or the twin so, fairies, you
3: know. Uh, well, I don't think we could have that anymore.
2: You know. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, not, 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 not so much, I guess, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, so it's like the, revisiting this, this was a real treat for me. I, I was, uh, uh, you know, I had the house mostly to myself, so I got to just sit down on a, on a rainy, uh, rainy Friday. It was my day off and just sit down with Godzilla 2014 and just, just watch it critically. And I, I, you know, it, uh, a lot of these films, I, I, I'm particularly, I've been accused of. Of being too positive about <laughs> about the Daikaiju things. And and I'll own that to an extent because there's some things that people have a lot of serious problems with. And I'm like, yeah, but I had fun and ultimately that's what I'm looking for, right? So I really dug this and I had dug it when I had seen it again. But I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna sit down and watch it critically for the show. It's like, am I gonna find stuff and really, you know, is, are, are certain things gonna bother me? It's like, no. If anything, I found more stuff to enjoy watching it critically, and and the you know the, the themes, like I said, about families being broken apart and coming together, that again, that that that's speaking to me as a uh, as a father of four and all that. That really spoke to me, and I I really enjoyed this film. And then just from a technical standpoint, the, the filmmaking, the cinematography, it's such a well-assembled film, you know, especially in in the, you know, we get a lot of these, these films, these big popcorn blockbuster films nowadays that are just frenetic. And at, at, it gets to the point where if, if you're just frenetic nonstop, it just gets tiring to watch. Whereas here, where things are a bit more... Methodical. I don't mean you know as a big fat guy. He's methodical. No, I mean it's, it's the way that it's paced, the way that it's shot is uh, is a bit less frenetic. It doesn't. It 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 as a viewer, it it resonated a lot with me.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's definitely. Uh, I can say that I have not seen this as often as I've seen Skull Island and or King of the Monsters. Right. Um, I saw it in the theaters. I watched it again when it came. We got it on Blu-ray and that might've been it. I don't think I've sat down and watched it all the way through again until now. Yeah. Um, And I can honestly say I've seen King of the Monsters. It's been on HBO and stuff a bunch. Um, and we'll catch it halfway through and King of the Monsters is a little different kind of movie. It's just kind of a lot of monster fighting. And you can pick that up in the middle and catch it. This one, you got to kind of decide you're going to watch it. Excuse me. If you're kind of flipping through, I mean, I'll watch if it's on, I'll leave it on. Um, while I'm doing something especially kind of thing, but, um, you kind of got to pay more attention to this one. You know what I'm saying? And not that you don't have to pay attention to Skull Island and King of the Monsters, but this one's kind of more the the cerebral you know, cerebral kind of like end of things yeah. for Godzilla in this new stuff. And it's, it's well, well you one. know, I
2: mean, Aaron, Aaron Taylor, you know, to that end, Aaron Taylor Johnson, he was quoted as that he, what he, uh, about Gareth Edwards, that he treated the film like a big budget art film. And that with be the best description I can give for this, it has art, sort of art film sensibilities, but it was a one hundred and sixty million dollar budget and had giant monsters in it.
3: Yep. Yep. I agree. Yeah, it's it's definitely and it's and it's it definitely is different. And I think that sometimes different bothers people um, and different doesn't always mean good. You know that I, I don't always just because something's different doesn't mean it's good. Yeah, uh, This is different in a good way. And I, I right. like it. I like things aren't shown to you constantly. I like that it makes you think. I like that it pushes your what your expectations are. It's good, you yeah. know. And and I'll be honest with you, if this thing had tanked, we'd have no MonsterVerse. Well, this movie alone got two more sequels greenlit immediately. Yeah. So they had to have some faith in it, you know. So.
2: Right. Yeah. But you know, even even if this, let's say. In an alternate universe, this doesn't make two hundred million dollars at the box office, which is what it ended with domestically, and it said over five hundred uh, worldwide. Mm-hmm. Even if this doesn't produce any sequels, you'd still have one really good movie you can put on your shelf. Yeah, you yeah. know, and that to me is a success. You know that that that's not obviously that's not what the studio wants. The studio wants, yeah, we make this one. This one makes a lot of money. We make uh, we make a bunch more, you know, and and they're getting that to an extent. But, you know, it comes to, as a consumer, yes, I'm happy that we have the Monsterverse. Yes, I'm excited. I was excited for Skull Island and King of the Monsters. And I'm, and I'm hyped up for Godzilla versus Kong. But as yeah. a consumer, I'm happy to get a really good Godzilla movie. You right. Know? Right. So, But, you know, that's, that's not enough for some people nowadays, you know. Eh.
3: <laughs> if, if movies don't change your lives, people feel that they didn't get their money's worth. And I'm like, look, like that's because you haven't watched enough bad movies yeah i mean I, no, i'm not thinking you laugh but you know as well as no, i do man you know. got to watch. you got to watch some really bad movies to appreciate the really good stuff it's like anything else like when you sit there i mean when i think about some of the schlock we've watched in our lives on purpose i don't think like we have yeah and you're like man that thing sucked you know kind of thing we're like oh <laughs> so i can appreciate really good filmmaking you know uh, you know, I mean, it's well, just you what know, it is.
2: The, but but when you watch a lot of the crap that we've watched, you not yeah. only appreciate good filmmaking, you appreciate film, oh. people that are trying. Oh You, know, yeah. you appreciate yeah. like okay, this didn't quite come together, but you can see the effort there. You can yeah. see that that somebody somebody who thought this through it just didn't quite. You know, they ran out of money. They ran out of time. Not just it's like eh, you know, we'll write a story this weekend. It's cool. You well, know,
3: I'm going to make a statement that might be controversial. So just be prepared for the negative blowback um i'd watch uh vanilla ice's movie you know cool as ice ice i'd watch that a hundred times before i'd watch battlefield earth there i said it folks you can take that to the bank now
2: Uh, now, with vanilla ice would that be a hot take or a cold
3: take oh cold as ice how
2: do you how do you uh, you know how, how do you uh win the heart of the girl whose heart is uh frozen solid just add ice (laughs)
3: <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like I'd rather watch Birdemic any day of the week than watch Battlefield Earth. Yeah. And you think Jay, you picking on Battlefield Earth a lot because it's atrocious and it costs more money than every other movie I can like, like all those horrible movie roll all
2: together and not cost much.
3: But when you now, watch... the
2: real question, the real question is Battlefield Earth or Cleopatra? Uh,
3: it would probably be I'd probably watch Cleopatra. It, <laughs> As much as as much as for uh, Boss Bugs and Babes listeners, you've heard Dad and I rag on Cleopatra. Yeah. It is ultimately a better movie than Battlefield Earth. Um, yeah, it, it's, yeah it's, I mean, the first half's pretty good. It's just the second half is so boring.
2: The second is the first half that with Richard Burton.
3: I think so. He's <laughs> Caesar,
2: isn't he? In Cleopatra. Yeah.
3: I've only seen Cleopatra. I mean, it was just it was hard to watch. I mean, I mean, it's like, like, remember the time you and I riffed Gone with the Wind and mom nearly like shot us?
2: Yeah. Oh, she was not happy with us.
3: That is a long riff and we didn't write it. We just riffed it like off the cuff. It was tough to riff that because I'm watching the movie going, someone shoot her, shoot her, shoot her. No, shoot her now. Like, please kill her now. Like, you know, I shouldn't root for someone to get murdered in a movie uh, who's the main lead, you know, but you know, whatever. But, you know, I'm just saying this. It's one of those things, folks, you got to watch. Sometimes you have to kind of like watch bad movies. I know some people are like, oh, I would never watch those movies. We watch bad movies. It happens. Uh, we watch because I mean, Luke and I are Misty and Rift Track guys and stuff like that. So we've sat through bad stuff. But I watch, I watch all the stuff on. I still haven't watched uh, to, uh, what text it called. Uh, Letters to Satan Clause. I still have that in the DVR. I haven't got a chance to watch it <laughs> yet. Um, and what was it? Terror Toys. The new one, whatever the new one was, just on. Yeah. Um, I, two newest sci-fi ones that I that I missed because I was out. We had to tape them. But I'm, I'll watch those things, and Haley and I watch them. We love them, right? right? You know, you know, zombie tidal wave. It was horrible. We watched it. <laughs> you know,
1: whatever. zombie tidal.
2: That's that's the sequel to Zombie Lake, right?
3: Yeah. Well, no. Well, no. <laughs> zombie Lake. For those of you, that's not appropriate for this show, Zombie Lake. I'm
2: just saying. But like it's French, uh, isn't it, Zombie Lake?
3: Oh, well, it's something. No, I'm uh, saying,
2: wasn't that a French film?
3: Uh, it might be. I don't know. There's Because a,
2: if it's I, a French film, you get to sing the song. Uh, I don't think so. Uh,
3: no.
2: I like French films, pretentious, boring French films. Oh, no. I like French films, two tickets, see vous play.
3: Okay, so none of those things are true about that movie. There's a <laughs> naked ladies, <laughs> a lot of uh, Nazi zombies underwater with naked ladies swimming. And grabbing things, and oh man, that that's that's a zombie. Movie right Lake
2: there. is a 1981 Spanish-French horror film directed by Jean Rolfine. who is a French film director, actor, and novelist. Yeah. So, yeah zombie yeah. Lake means you can sing the French song. It's uh, not when I, was in, I understand <laughs> that. I understand that. When I was in, <clears throat> when I was in college, uh, when mm-hmm. I was taking film, uh, my film class, one of the films we watched was a French film called Shoot the Piano Player. And okay. uh, I'm a big fan of Shoot the Piano Player, actually. It's not a genre film, but it is a, a very, very good film, French New Wave. And while we were walking over to the um, the auditorium to go watch uh, our, our film for the week, we were going on like a Tuesday night, I think. And, uh, and one of my classmates was singing that song from the critic as we were heading over there. I, remember, I distinctly remember that. Because I was the only, when, when we took the survey at the end of the year of who, like, each one of the movies we had to screen. It's like, well, who liked this one? Who liked this one? I was the only one who admitted to liking Shoot the Piano Player. And I was like, well, I don't like it because it has subtitles. I'm like, you're taking a film class." <laughs> a film class. <laughs> well, I thought we were going to watch, like, I don't know, like Goonies and, like, Well, whatever. you would have liked this because we did watch... We we did watch The Road Warrior. That was the last film we watched for the for the for the year.
4: Yeah.
2: So,
3: but Road in any event, this, yeah. Road Warrior used to be the best uh, Mad Max movie, and now that's not anymore. It's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Ever
2: since they reevaluated Beyond Thunderdome, it's amazing yeah. how people's attitudes have changed.
3: <laughs> okay. Perfect example. You you have to watch, be, you know, uh, Beyond Thunderdome. You have to sit through that bad movie to get to Fury Road. Because you don't deserve Fury Road. Is he? If, if you don't love Mad Max at at that level, you can't appreciate Fury Road for what yeah. it really. is. You got to see. They're like, oh god, they made it. Like you feel like Mel Gibson turns to the screen and goes, "I know I'm stuck here, right? Doesn't this suck? Yeah. You know, kind of thing, right?
2: you, you guys can leave. I'm still <laughs> you guys, here.
3: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry. You know, so.
2: Anyway. Oh man, but in yeah. any event um, so, uh, so Jay, uh, thank you very much for joining us here on the road to Godzilla versus Kong um, Why don't you please just give everybody a, a quick rundown of where else they can find you on the internet
3: Well the main place you can find me is uh, on Two True Freaks Network on Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-movie podcast uh, where uh, we will talk about B-movies uh, We're coming up uh, on episode 100 this spring uh, we're getting close. March is gonna mark our five-year anniversary um, very often it is dad and I reviewing uh, you know uh, genre actually genre movies obviously in the, the B movie category but we have had on authors like John LeMay uh, podcast and author you know Jonathan Inbody. my brother Luke has been on for several episodes including this past winter when we talked about masters of the universe. Um, Super fun, all ages show. There's no bad language. Uh, we do get a little silly in here and there, but <laughs> who doesn't? Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, the other place you can hear us, if you, uh, don't mind hearing some naughty words would be over on the, the vault, the startling vault, the,
2: the, the vault, vault of startling horror. monster horror tales of terror.
3: Yeah. We're Luke, myself, uh, OG Chris Honeywell and the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler, uh, talk about horror movies and, uh use colorful language, um, and then you can join Chris Tyler, my brother Luke, and I on Get Back to the Wrestling. Finally, there's a show on the internet about professional wrestling, where we talk about wrestling. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's where you can find me and stuff. But I am thankful that Luke asked me to be on here. I love talking Godzilla movies. Um, like Luke said, we have watched more Godzilla movies together than... I And I've I I mean, to get honest you, I mean, I've watched a bunch of Godzilla movies with my wife and my daughter and stuff, but Luke and I watched them all mostly for the first time we've ever saw them together I mean we watched right. a lot of things we kind of cut our teeth together on these um, and it's always nice kind of having that shared experience now obviously folks uh, as we're talking about these newer movies you know we're kind of we have you know we're adults we have families and stuff we don't see them all together all the time um, but it's nice to be able to talk about them together uh, especially since we do share so much history uh, with the genre so to speak you know so oh, yeah
2: yeah well you know as i said we're uh jay again thank you thank you for being on always appreciate having you uh, as a guest uh you get some of the local stuff that i talk about and other guests are like yeah i don't i don't get what you're <laughs> saying <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> I, I do
2: that's it's, it's one reason i like recording with panneries because i'll make a thing about like wpix he's like yeah yeah i'm like oh that's right you know this stuff too but <laughs>
3: He knows some of the local stuff. Sorry, Tom, but it's true. You know some of the local stuff, but we start getting, like, JV Mall specific. Yeah, we start getting
2: you know, Hudson Valley, real, real we, Hudson Valley, you know, Putnam County stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing is,
3: Luke and I know where the best place to get a good bagel is. And what a New York, like, you know, that like in New York, you get, like, a, a bagel with cream cheese or two of them and, like, a big, you know, Arizona iced tea and that's breakfast. Like, we understand that stuff because it's kind of local. And we know what a wedge is. Yes. And most of you don't know what a wedge is. Just letting you know.
2: That is that wedge what's funny is that at one time the Wikipedia page for like sub Mm -hmm. sandwich said wedge and it said region Westchester and Putnam County, New York. I'm like, Oh my God. That's where it is. So accurate. Because you get outside, you get up to Rockland, they're like, What the what what's a wedge? you know? Uh,
3: I got the Duchess. A the guy, the guy was from the guy was from uh, from from down. He was down. I got in the Duchess. I said, yeah, I need a uh, an American wedge uh, with. I, I said yellow American. I yellow American. On, I need an American wedge uh, with letters. Whatever. The girl goes, what's a wedge? I said, a wedge, American wedge. And I pointed at the board with my <laughs> hand. I looked to it. And the guy comes out the back and he goes, he goes I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, what do you call it? And the guy comes out the back. He goes, what's the problem? She goes, I don't know. He wants a wedge. He goes, yeah, make him one. And he goes, what's a wedge? He goes, what's a wedge? How long you been working here? <laughs> and this is at the new froggies up in, in Dutchess. And he goes, where do you have working here? I said, dude, I'm sorry, man. Uh, what do you want me to call it? A, a sub? A hero? It's not a sandwich. It's yeah. a wedge. And he's like, don't worry. I'll make the wedge for you, brother. What do you want? I go, American? <laughs> With yellow. Oh, you want you want mayonnaise? Yeah, mayonnaise. Mustard. I go, just mayo. And pickles. Can you put pickles on? Oh yeah, no problem. Boom, got a nice big wedge. That's what I'm saying. Uh, oh sorry, we're getting real local.
2: So. Well, no, the you you talk about you talk about the two bagels with cream cheese in Arizona. My order at Good Old Strathmore Bagels in Somers was
4: mm-hmm.
2: bacon, egg, and cheese bagel. Well, you know, yeah, ba- yeah. bacon and egg bagel with bacon, egg, and cheese on it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah bacon yeah. and egg bagel. You talk about not being kosher. Yeah, no. throw a little little uh, American cheese on that too, just to make sure it's not kosher. You know,
3: Stratford bagel. When you got there and it was hot, they would put they would put cream cheese like it was like half a block of cream cheese on yeah. that bagel. It was just a, a, a look that the bag you couldn't even cut the bagel in half, and it would just start melting. Oh my God, I'm getting fat just thinking about it right now.
2: God, remember so, we could eat that stuff?
3: Yeah, now I look at it and I'm you, like, oh.
2: yeah. And I didn't drink coffee back then, but man, I could have go for that and some coffee. It's like yeah. midnight. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll have agita all night. But any, anyway, that's a that is a whole other thing. Got two two guys from New York talking about getting agita, but uh, <laughs> two Italians from New York. I feel like I've died and gone to New York.
1: <laughs>
2: okay, anyway, well, folks, but, but uh, no, the, the uh, so, but right, we we have a lot a lot of love for the genre, and we are still uh, here on the road to Godzilla vs. Kong and the next stop on that road talking about our origins as love of the genre is the aforementioned Kong Skull Island which will be the next episode of our Destruction Director we'll be taking a look back at, uh, at Kong Skull Island much like Godzilla 2014 I've only ever covered this as a guidance a reaction episode right after seeing the movie so very much looking forward uh, to getting this film a little bit more insight now Jay you and I of course talked about this on on Is It Jaws with uh, with um, Paul Spataro quite a while back which was a fun episode and dad and I covered it
3: super super in depth literally 25 minutes after where you saw the film yeah bucks and babes
2: <laughs> scene by scene blow by blow
3: we literally told you the entire movie including i mean i was like that night in the car like don't talk about it just keep it fresh keep it fresh we got in the door just start talking Yeah. <laughs> so anyway good, it's like, good yeah. stuff
2: but yeah so uh yeah so jay thank you again for coming coming on the show Talk about godzilla 2014 uh, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode. What are your thoughts? Has Godzilla 2014, did you like it when you first saw it? Do you still like it? Has it uh, grown on you, soured on you? Send me feedback, Directive at yahoo.com. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you. And I'd also like to take this opportunity just to let everyone know that Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. If you are a fan of Japanese giant monsters, or any part of that that scene, you are welcome here on this show. All are welcome here at Earth Destruction Directive. Jay, again, thank you. And uh, everybody out there, thank you for downloading and listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please come back next time, where we'll be taking a look at Kong Skull Island. And until then, keep them stomping.
0: All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at two twotruefreaks.com.